It is late into Monday evening on February 17th. I'm Tanner Grace. This is Ross Merriam. This is the Pioneer Podcast. I, I, you know what? I think I'm going to start doing something like that at the beginning of every show so we all know when it's recorded. So it kind of covers our asses a little bit if we make like a really stupid take. Yeah, it happens like right before something that like, make, yeah makes us seem like idiots. Yeah. I think everybody assumes there's usually a couple days lag or, or whatever. It depends how fast our lovely editor Brent can Brent. <laughs> get everything done. But we generally record on Monday or Tuesday, like beginning of the week. During the whole beginning portion, we tried to record like Monday evening because that was after ban- the weekly you know, lunch ban. And you weren't having to travel every weekend at that point either. Yeah, the, and it, it, we kind of lucked out, right? Like, right. you know, we started right at the end of October. And I think I might have traveled like that. There was that stretch of four tournaments in a row. And I might have traveled that, that last weekend might have been the like sec- I think that was between the first and second weeks of us doing the podcast. And then I did not leave Roanoke until Christmas break. You know, there was obviously Invitational, which is a, a very busy weekend, but at least I wasn't doing any traveling being that it's in Roanoke. And then, you know, so so we got kind of spoiled the first two months or so of the podcast. And now we're having to sometimes deal with me traveling. So often it'll be a, a Tuesday record if I'm traveling Monday or a Monday record if I'm not. This week I was lucky enough to be at home. And so we're recording on Monday. I will say, yeah, you seem like a lot more refreshed. I didn't give you the chance to say that you're tired today because I know you're not. You're like, you're all like, I can usually tell right away either A, what your answer is going to be to the question or B, like how you're going to be on the show this week. Because like most of the time when you've traveled, especially if you have like one of the longer ones where you have to do like multiple forms of travel, I can just see it on your face. So for people at home that don't know, uh, Ross and I use uh, three different programs to do audio and video for this, even though there's no video for y'all at home. It helps me. Uh, to see Ross because uh, little, I mean, you know this, you've heard me say this a million times. I actually have a hearing problem and a lot of people don't know about. And uh, being able to see Ross's face and see cues helps a lot. And uh, it helps me from talking over him or knowing he's done because sometimes I'm not sure and stuff. So that actually helps. Um, Keeps us nice and free flowing. Yeah, yeah. Plus I get to see Ross's beautiful face and uh, I can see Ross in a, uh, it's not baseball, but in a cap. It is a Utah Jazz cap, right? I know you turned it around earlier, but yeah, yeah I, I bought it at the Utah Jazz team store when I went there last November. That was my souvenir from the trip. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, it's the first time I've ever seen you in one in person. Like I've seen some of the old school like Ross feature matches where you, when you had like a lot of hair, you know, when you had your longer hair, yeah. and you would wear like hats or some stuff. And I've seen you wear like I would basically never wear a hat when I had long hair. There, there's one when I have short hair and I'm wearing a cap. That's what a, it is. I'm wearing a Red Sox hat in a yeah. feature match. I think the first ever GP feature match I had, it was May of 2011, and I was playing in the X1 bracket against Paolo Vita or Damodorosa, current yeah. world champion. Yeah. Uh, or no, no, the I, I did have a feature match against him, or at least uh, it was a text feature. But then I had another text feature later where they took pictures of us. That's the, the picture that y- you can find of me. That was the last round of that GP when I was the only match of X2s that couldn't draw in, and I lost to Brian Elliott who was playing Hive Mind and ended up taking second to James Rankwitz. And I was playing Elves. This was the Mental Misstep Grand Prix. Elves pre-Natural oh Order Craterhoof, because Craterhoof wasn't printed yet. And I was playing Elves in this tournament. And I maintain to this day, unequivocally, I will not hear anything else, I had easily the best deck in the room. And I was robbed. Did you have Mental Misstep in your deck? No. I was playing just Glimpse of Nature, two Regal Force, one Emrakul Elves. And like 15 mana Emrakul, right? Yeah. Emrakul the Aeon's Torn. And four guys Cradle. You know, one only one Dryad Arbor. 
my my mana base was a little misbuilt. I should have played a second Bayou and one fewer basic, uh, and maybe two fewer basics and another fetch land. Like little things like that. Was this Legacy? Yeah, it was a, it was a Legacy Grand Prix. My sideboard. So the uh, people don't remember this because it's 2011. But the the most played decks at that Grand Prix were Merfolk and like Abzan nonsense with Mox Diamond, like basically a rock deck with Mox Diamond. Okay. Uh, so it just like skipped one. It had some discard spells in the sideboard for combo, maybe in the main, I don't know. But like its general curve was to just skip one and dodge Mental Misstep that way. And then the Merfolk deck was just an easy home for Mental Misstep, right? And it was pretty popular at the time. Those are the two most played decks in the room. And Elves could not lose to Merfolk. The matchup is comically good. Still is to this day. Uh, I assume. I don't know. I haven't played Legacy forever, but... The ma- that matchup was just comically good. D- mental misstep look, you know, it made it better for them, but it, it didn't matter. But the the black decks, like some, they had Parish in their sideboard because Deathrite Shaman wasn't a thing yet, and so Parish was a problem, and you know, like just sweepers in general. And so the sideboard playing against those decks, which is where the Black Splash came in, was Buried Alive, Vengevine. So I've been letting you kind of ramble on this because I've been looking at, as you notice, I've been looking at my phone this whole time. I've been typing. Yeah. It's not that I wasn't listening because I was, but I was checking on something. Do you remember when this Grand Prix was in the year? May of 2011. All right. So it's pretty funny because I had to check on something. So you're talking about what Legacy was like in, in May of 2011. Because this is, this is pre-me playing Legacy as well. Like I had not played a game of Legacy. I had not cast the card Brainstorm in my life before this. Um, I looked up the release of Innistrad. And it happened on September 30th in 2011, so not you know not too yeah. long after this. That fall, and, and and that's when everything changed. Yes, that's, the format drastically changed with Innistrad getting released. So yeah, and Innistrad block actually made elves Innistrad block, and then and then RTR made elves better because you got Deathrite Shaman and Crater of Behemoth. But so this deck was like traditional glimpse combo elves, and you would think that like you know Mental Misstep is just way too good against you. But the decks, like, what Mental Misstep did to Legacy was force the Sensei's top decks out and force the combo decks out because the normal blue mid-range decks just became really good against those those either combo or, or Sensei's top. And those were the matchups that Elves was bad against. Even with Mental Misstep, you were good against Azoria Stoneblade. You were good against the Natural Order Teamer deck, which were sort of the two best decks in that format. You were horrible against combo decks that had Mental Misstep, which ended up being Brian Elliott's deck. Uh, that So, like, you know, I had to play my worst matchup in the last round of that Grand Prix when I couldn't draw in, and all the other X2s could. My other loss, I lost to PB that day, who was playing Sultai Control with four main deck Pernicious Deeds, and I obliterated him game one, and just wasn't comfortable enough with Elves at the time to sideboard correctly, and I over-sideboarded and lost games two and three. Could have put myself in a better shot spot if I hadn't overboarded. And then I lost game one to another sneak and show deck. I played against like four combo decks in the tournament. And I beat two of them. And I like four combo was a lot, but my deck was unbelievably good against all the fair mental misstep decks. Like I, and I'm mad to this day that I did not get to top eight that Grand Prix. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really funny. Um, <clears throat> you're talking about, you know, your, your first feature match at a Grand Prix. And I thought back to mine, my first and, feature match I ever got at a Grand Prix. Tiny child, Seth Manfield. Uh, the, 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 say there's, there's a story here. Yeah. This is, uh, far enough back that like, I think you were talking about, I don't think they had done coverage of Grand Prix yet in 2011. Do they start doing it yet? I mean, they've been doing, you mean like, uh, like live coverage, video coverage. Um, 
I feel like Gigi's live was around back then. Yeah, the start of it, right? Yeah. It was uh, Rashad Miller. No, no, and... what, what was it called? It was, it was the thing before they made Twitch. It was it was like a person. It was like oh, Justin, on Justin TV. TV. Yeah, yeah Justin that, TV. The, the streaming remember, platform. Yeah, because I remember watching it. The the thing that became Twitch, whatever. And I mean, uh, Twitch was a rival and put buried Justin TV. Yeah, that's there. what I mean. Like the thing that like it, you know it, it all moved to. Proceeded. Yeah. So. Uh, there was none of that because this is in 2007. Yeah, it was like seven or eight was your yeah. GP top four. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and it it, it, it kind of coincides with your story. Um, PB is involved. I uh, I don't remember if I played him or not in this tournament because I've played him like three or four times in my career or whatever. And it's always like a five-year gap. And for anyone who doesn't know this, PB has, if you think Ross has amazing clarity and memory, I think PB might have you rivaled if not beat. Because every time I play him, we haven't played for like five years. And he always distinctly remembers our, our match. And this is like well before I was even a remotely named player. You know what I mean? Like this is, you know, years and years and years and years and years ago. But uh, I passed him his deck in the, like he sat to my left in the top eight. Because I actually did top eight this tournament. So unlike you. And you, uh, you yeah, did win though. Yeah, this is the one where I, I lost the, to the Manimal. I lost to Seth Manfield in the semifinals, which to this. Seth Boyfield. Yeah, it's, it, I always tell this joke. I always tell this story. And I tell it as like kind of a joke that I lost to Seth in the quote unquote finals. Because I passed Paulo's deck, and I didn't think that Paulo's deck could beat mine or Seth's deck. And so, I'm not going to lie, I sat down across from Seth. And, you know, Magic was in a different point in, like, 2007. And I wasn't, like, maliciously trying to do this. But, like, I literally told him, I was like, you know, this is the finals, right? And he looks at me, because he's, like, 15 or something at the time. You know, he looks 15. He looks probably 12. And he's like, what? I'm like, Paulo's deck can't beat either one of us. Because Paulo's already into the finals. Because his first round opponent at the top eight scooped to him. Because Paulo was like on the, like was like getting close to the next level, and this is at the end of the year. This is in like November or something. Because I think it was on my birthday or whatever. So it's like late November, and then he just beat a second round opponent in like five minutes. And so like we hadn't even started our match or whatever. And we know Paulo's into the finals, and um, so I might have been you know gaming a little bit. I might have been trying to like intimidate this fifteen year old kid no one's ever seen who's now a Hall of Famer and you're and like a world champion and like a pro champion. You know what I mean? Just like yeah, ended up just being miles better than me. At this game, and boy, did he get crap out of I mean, he was probably better than you. Then. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, that might have, yeah, probably so. I mean, like there was a point in time where I was actually pretty good back then, like where I played yeah. a lot or whatever. Especially limited, I was like pretty good at limited back then. But I think that was like it's it's really funny. So I top eight a Grand Prix in the in the beginning of that format, you know, because this was a uh, triple Lorwin. I cannot tell you five cards of the next set. Literally, just can't do it. I didn't didn't even play. Off of Morning Tide or yeah, yeah. Morning Tide, whatever. The, the, is that the next set? Morning Tide. I I couldn't. Tell Morning you. Tide is the second set of Lauren Block, and then the, that was the year they did two two set blocks, and they did Shadowmore Even Tide. Is that the one with like it had like Scuttlemutt and like the untap the tap untap thing? That was Shadowmore Even Tide. I think okay. I, I didn't play a lot during those sets either. I, yeah. I drafted a bit of Lorwyn, but very little Shadowmore and Eventide. Uh, those my college years. I'm gonna I'm gonna finish up the story with like some of the cool randomness that happens in Magic because if. It, we see a lot of like what is it organized play changes every year it feels like uh no one knows whether they can queue for a pro tour every year or a player's tour you know like blah 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 um back then it was more defined every year you know you had like very similar things every year but they changed up stuff that was really weird so back then um the person like here's a couple of the weird things that happened the person that i beat in the first round of top eight right my, my opponent that i beat and then i lost in top four made more money than i did in this tournament so they were an amateur, and they got right. the GP amateur prize. Right. Um, back then, if you top-aided, it qualified you for the subsequent Pro Tour. 
but did not give you a flight. Top sixteen, even. It was that. Was that what? Is that what it yeah. was like? This I, is how green I, I was. I had no idea. I still queued for a pro tour at that my GP top sixteen, losing to Brian Elliott. I finished like fourteenth. Okay. That still queued for a pro tour in twenty eleven. They got rid of it shortly after that because they announced Planeswalker points in two thousand twelve, and that's when they got rid of top sixteen queuing at GPs. So it was only or no, they announced Planeswalker points sorry around Innistrad. So that that they announced them in like September of that year. Okay, and so um so that happened then. Um, so I did qualify for the subsequent Pro Tour. The amount of money I won for third, fourth place, whatever, um, would not have paid for my plane ticket because you did not get plane tickets back then either. Pro Tour in Japan? No, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Okay, okay. Close Pro- enough. Close. Probably even worse. It's probably more expensive to get to Malaysia than it is Japan. It's a big city still. Yeah, but it's I mean, business like, travelers still, which is like I think it was like four flights to get there because you have to like do some hopping or something. Or I don't remember. I don't know because uh, I was talking to because Tom Ross queued too, and we were both talking about like traveling together. And I was just like, man, I'm just not going. It's going to cost too much money. I was like, it was going to cost like three thousand dollars or something stupid, you know? Like, and that's like just for travel and hotel. So how did you do at the Pro Tour? I didn't yeah. go. Oh, you really didn't go? I really didn't go. I just didn't wow. go. Yeah, was a maniac. That's the that's the one that um, could have seen the Patronus Towers. True. That's the one that Finkel came out of nowhere to like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm still yeah. really good at magic. He just won. Yeah. yeah, he just randomly found time and was like, yeah, I guess I'll practice. And then, yeah, I guess yeah, I'll just show up to Yeah, just like, he hadn't been to an out of, I think, US Pro Tour in a while. You know, like, he's like, I'm just not, try-. unless it's like a simple one. Like, like let's be real. He's in New York, so like hopping over to London, it's like a, you know, like a five hour flight. It's pretty easy or whatever, you know, and uh, so all that crazy. I'm trying to think of anything else crazy happened in that tournament because it's, it was really weird. I, I I had some buys. I don't remember how many. My sealed was busted. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever cast a Planeswalker. It was that event, too. Because they were brand new. I had never actually physically played with a Planeswalker yet. So I had to, like, read the card and, like, make sure that I did it right and stuff. So, uh, yeah, magic. <laughs> Can I tell you my Seth Manfield story? Oh, sure. We got plenty of time. Don't worry. Yeah. All so, right. so after top 16 that Grand Prix... Uh, this is on the heels of my first Pro Tour, which was Paris earlier that year. So I had like one a PTQ. I think I had top four, another PTQ, a top 16 to GP. And so my rating was pretty high. And so, uh, and I was queued for the Pro Tours. So I didn't have to play more PTQs. So I just sat on my rating and queued for nationals that way. And it, this was the last, you know, nationals for a while. It was the one Ali and Trazi one. Uh, so I got to go to Gen Con, you know, do that whole thing. And uh, I ended up playing a bad deck. Uh, because I just didn't like anything and like last minute saw a deck list that I thought was cool and just played it. And it was, it was twin blade just like mashing together Callblade and Splinter twin, but it was post ban. I remember this. Yeah. Um, I think the deck would have been okay if I had changed four cards, but I'm not going to get into that. I ended up uh, doing really well on day one. I was six one, uh, because it was part limited, part constructed, right? Eight rounds, uh, constructed six limited did a draft each day. And the draft format was M12, which is a format I was quite, quite good at. It's a very aggressive format. This is the one with Bloodthirst, you know, Goblin Fireslinger and things like that. So, uh, uh, you know, I felt good about the limited format. I 3 owed the draft and then 3-1 constructed. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm drafting at table one to start day two. And I started 0-2 beat Todd Anderson in round three of the draft to stay alive going into constructed and then two, two constructed to finish and losing the last round to not cash. You had to like X 10, four to cash. I finished nine, five. Uh, so feeling pretty bad, 
You know, I had a, I had like a three, four day two, not great. And instead of just like enjoying Gen Con and doing fun things, I decided to join a midnight GPT because I, this time I only had two buys and I was like, oh, I could get a third buy for the Grand Prix that's coming up in Pittsburgh because there's a Grand Prix the week before the, the next PT in Philly, which is the one I'm queued for. And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to you know, be this grinder and uh, and play this Grand Prix, but I should get a third buy. And it's a sealed GPT that starts at midnight. So you're not getting done till like 6 a.m., maybe longer. Yeah. I open my sealed pool and I have Gideon Jura Mind Control, the two best cards in the set for sealed, and build a very good Azorius deck. Obliterate the Swiss. We go to the top eight draft. I open Mind Control in pack one, slam it. But it quickly becomes clear to me that people aren't drafting red, which is weird because red was like the overdrafted color, right? Everybody wanted their Gohorn Minotaurs and all their Bloodthirst creatures. Yeah, Bloodthirst, the format. Yeah, yeah. But like this, I guess, you know, this was all people that like knew that and everybody was trying to avoid it. And I just said, fuck it. And I just switched into red black. And I drafted a very good, aggressive Rakdos Bloodthirst deck. You know, I'd like triple Goblin Fire Slinger. I think I, I wheeled one out of the Mind Control pack. And that was the thing that like solidified I need to be red. Um, and so I'm feeling good about my deck. I beat like this timely reinforcements deck in the, the quarterfinals. And I figured I, I didn't know this. I literally signed up for this GP, GPT because I wanted the buy just one extra buy, but the prize pool, what the first place prize was a foil play set of world wake, which was still a standard legal set. So, which is, so it was worth quite a bit and it's a full, it was a full play set. And so you it's figure, still worth quite a bit by the way, but yeah. So you figure top four is going to probably just split and each take a foil set, right? Um, so I get to the top four. And at this point, like it's, you know, seven in the morning. And all I want to like, all I want to do is split the prize. But my opponent apparently had a split with a, their friend. And so they wanted to get to the finals and split and just get two sets. So then they could give one to their friend. And I was like, okay, let's play like random dingus. I have never, never seen before. And I... You know, I lose, like, I win game one, lose games two and three. I felt like I flooded a bit. I probably did. But, like, you know, back then I wasn't nearly as good as I am now. I probably played pretty badly. And, uh, and you know what my prize was for top four? You want you want to guess? At the, Nothing. At a Gen Con, Gen Con side event? Nothing. I got, I got six booster packs. Yeah. Six. Yeah. My The the person who won the other semifinal wasn't going to the GP. Uh, so they just conceded it after the split in the finals, gave the buys to my my semifinal opponent. So I like basically like played the maximum number of rounds in the tournament, didn't get the buys, didn't get any of the foil sets, got six packs, was up all night, didn't get didn't experience Gen Con. Kicker of the story, first round round three of that GP in Pittsburgh. I'm playing straight Splinter Twin now, which is a really good deck, and I got paired against Valakit, which was your best matchup. And I lose. Literally the only time I lost a Valakit with this deck, playing it for a couple months, was that match. My I remember like my opponent having a really good draw one time with Colony Heart Expedition, where they were able to Titan, get a bunch of Valakits with four mountains out, and leave up the expedition to, you know, stop me from comboing. And that and then one game where I just, you know, went through like, you know, a third of my deck and never found a or and never found a second red source for a Splinter Twin, which sometimes happened with the deck. So I and that so the you know the kicker is that I did lose that third round uh, of that GP. But years later, which I uh, when I was bored, I, sometimes I just go through my match history on the like the Planeswalker point site, 
And I, I just checked it. I was like, I wonder who that person was if like they were a person who was that semifinal opponent. It was just Seth Manfield. Yeah, so I'm sure course. he just outplayed me by a lot to, to win because my deck was quite good. And I don't remember his deck being that good. And, you know, in the years since, I've watched Seth win more matches than anyone should with some really horrible draft decks. And he just, I like, he'll show them to me and be like, I think this is pretty good. I'm like, Seth, this is like, a you know, a 0.5, 2.5, you know, deck. I would expect to be, you know, half the time 0.3 and half the time 1.2. And he comes back, it's like, yeah, 2.1 or I 3 owed. Just like every time. Just so good. Uh, I got a, I got a, I got a quick story. One of my favorite stories I've ever heard about Seth Manfield it doesn't involve me. It's like him uh, and two other players are playing in like a team event or whatever. And I don't know if it's like standard or whatever, you know, if it's constructed or, or limited. And uh, it's Chris Finnell, right? And Chris Finnell sitting next to him. And anyone who knows this, this kind of came up this weekend as well with Marcio's keep in the finals. We were asking Seth Manfield, would you have kept that hand? Because he is known for keeping <laughs> some loose ones. <laughs> loose ones. Yeah. And so um, Chris was like, Yes, I think this might be limited because Chris Finnell playing in a GP, it's probably limited. Yeah. And uh, for everyone who doesn't know, Chris Finnell's a, a Florida Magic, like retired Magic Pro that was very, very good at limited. Anyway, um, he said he's like sitting there playing his game and like Seth, you know, draws a seven and goes, hey, like, would you keep this hand? And Finnell looks over and his hand is like two lands that are like the same color. Like, let's be like, it's two planes, right? And the rest of the cards in his hand are like red or something. You know what I mean? Like, just like literal unkeepable. And he goes, no, Seth, Seth, no, just mulligan or whatever. And so he goes, I turn back and I'm playing my game. And like, you know, it's like, it's very intense. And it's like, I go, I go through like three or four turns. I think I finally turned the corner. I'm like winning. And I look over and Seth's opponent has like four lands in play and some creatures and stuff. And I look over and Seth just got two lands and nothing. <laughs> right. And he has his hand face down to the table and he's not doing anything. And I just look at him and I, me being Chris Finnell here. And Chris Finnell's like, looks at him. And he's like, he's like, Seth, let me see your hand. And he goes, no. He like, won't show him. He like won't show him his hand because he just obviously kept the hand or whatever. And it's just so good. Like I was just like, oh, this, you know, they obviously know something we don't. <laughs> they obviously get something we don't. You know, players, you know, even great players can have preferences, right? Like the Mulligan Specter runs from like you know Seth on one end to Juza on the other, who's just like who's known for being very tight mulliganing hands that other people would keep, and like uh, so you know. But both great, and obviously both both great at limited too. But they, they just do yeah. things differently. And I, I have to imagine that a lot of it is like you know they're good at certain kinds of games and they gear it towards that. There's a lot, there's way less talk of that in Magic than I think there should be. Like if you if you listen or follow like competitive chess, the like players have their strengths and weaknesses. Like some players are really attacking, some are more defensive, some like like to play like positional games, as they say, you know. And you know, it's just they're better at analyzing certain board states, right? Some are really good in the early game, some are better in the end game, uh, and things like this. And you know, they'll spend time preparing for specific people, and like they'll change their tactics up because they know their opponent is going to be less comfortable if they steer the game in a certain way. We don't really talk about them in that magic. Everybody talks about just finding the optimal play. And like, I think there comes a lot of, it comes from a place of arrogance where we even assume that like, you know, we should be able to do everything at an elite level. And so we should just try to do it. I, the, the one person that has kind of railed against this recently was um, um, Andrew Ellenbogen. He wrote, wrote an article for SCG like a year ago called Range is Overrated. And, you know, he, he plays like, you know, white aggressive decks really often. And people like like Max McVitie always plays aggressive decks. We, we like we herald a lot of control players that play nothing but control. And like I do think that like you can't pigeon or hold yourself that much, but I don't think that there 
is I don't think you should spend so much of your time you know making sure your range is perfect. Like I'm 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 sort of over playing mid range decks at this point. Yeah, you know I'm I'm not going to be the I'm not going to register Soul Tide Delirium to Pioneer. I'm just not yeah, going to do. You're it. not Brendan Decandio. Yeah. Like. Yeah. I'm just I'm just not going to do it. Like I don't I don't feel comfortable playing those decks ever. Maybe if I put a lot of work in with them, I could. You know, and like sometimes I will when it becomes absolutely necessary. Like with Teamer Energy and Standard, that type was just so much better than everything. Yeah. And so I put some time in. I learned how to play the Mirror, and I did well in an Invitational where I played that deck. But like in a wide open field. I'm much more comfortable playing, you know, a little bit more linear decks, more aggressive decks. I like playing from ahead, uh, you know, a little bit less interaction, a lot more on like how I construct my deck and how I mulligan. No, I've definitely noticed that, you know, sitting next to you. It's like, I'm trying to remember in what context this came up, but someone said something along the lines of that to me once and the way they put it did really well. And it was like towards the end of like Kibler's comeback, you know, before he went into Hearthstone and he had like just won his, you know, pro tour again and was like, and it was doing well. And it's one of those things where like, you know, like I, I watched him play a game in a different format, right? Not one of the ones that he won, and he like made a mistake, right? Which you know we're human beings, we all make mistakes, but he made like a like a like a glaring mistake, right? And I was just like, man, I didn't expect you know Kibler to make that mistake there, or whatever. And someone's like, you know, like you know whatever, anyone makes mistakes, but I was just like, yeah, but like you know he just won a pro tour or whatever. And the way they put it, it's like, well, what deck was he playing? And I said it, and they're like, that's probably why he made the mistake. He's probably not as well practiced with his deck and like this kind of deck to play in this kind of format, or whatever. I don't remember the exact whatever. And I was like, you know, what do you mean? And they were just like, they're like, there's no doubting Kibler's a world-class player. And I'll say that too. There's no, there's no doubting that he's at least world-class at something, right? He's a, what, a two-time Pro Tour champion? Like, yes. Yeah, you don't just you don't just walk into that. You know what I mean? And uh, they're like, yeah, like he's obviously way better than average, but there are some things that he's elite in. And whenever that is good, Kibler is elite. It's the same thing about like whenever the mono red deck is good and standard, you don't want to get paired against Aaron Barrett. You don't want to get paired against Tom Ross. You know, yeah. like they're going to murk you like, you know, and like you you don't want to run into somebody when they're playing like their best, like their best deck for them. Yeah. And, and Kibler is very, very good with like mid range creature decks. When Lamar Elves and Thoughtseize are good cards, like Kibler is going to have a heyday. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which actually reminds me, he uh, he tested with our team for Pro Tour uh, Magic Origins in Vancouver. And this was the Pro Tour where Scissors was, like, kind of a thing. Right. And Mono Red won. Uh, and so the, the format, the metagame ended up being pretty aggressive. And we were all high on Green Red Devotion. Brad had been playing it for months. Uh, I top four the Open with it a couple of weeks beforehand. You're welcome. <laughs> and uh, and we all, like, we spent the entire week testing. And uh, we expected a lot of people to play, like, Jace Control decks. Right, because we we recognize that we figured out that Jace was good, uh, because we had Michael Majors and Jerry Thompson, and, and they figured out that Jace was good. While I was like, this card looks like t- looks terrible, um, but they were like, no, this card's insane, and we so you know they convinced us, and they were right, and we we're like, okay, so people are going to be playing control decks, and that's a problem because our devotion deck is horrible against control. But Brad was like, I I can figure this out. And he, to this day, came up with, like, the most brilliant cyber plan I've ever seen. Yeah, we've talked about this. Uh, I've talked about, yeah, yeah with, with Trail of Mystery. We became this morph mid-range deck with Trail. That's not what this story's about. But the entire time we were doing this, and we got really hyped that our our deck was going to be really good, Kibler was spending the entire time working on this dopey green-white creature deck. Uh, and we were all just like, Kibler, why are you playing that deck? We're just going to smack, like, there's no way that deck can beat Dragonlord Atarka ever, you know, 
Uh, and on paper, like those decks are horrible against Dragonlord or Tarka, right? And, you know, and Whisperwood Elemental and all the cards in Devotion and strategically just bad against ramp decks. So we're all just kind of laughing at Kibler. was just doing his Kibler thing, building his Kibler deck. And he kept telling us, like, you know, like, I think the metagame is going to be more aggressive than you think. And we ended up, like, cutting down on all of our anti-aggro cards to fit in this incredible transformational sideboard. So, like, we like, didn't have as many courses in the main. We might have had zero. We didn't have any Nylea's Disciples in the sideboard. Like, we were we were weak to aggressive decks. And he's like, and, and the last day, or one of the last days we were testing, the two of us were playing a, just a quick session, probably in the morning. A lot of people were sleeping. And he actually, like, was beating me. I think he won, like, you know, three or four out of five. I mean, you know, we didn't play a ton. But I was impressed with, like, his resilience. He was, like, beating Dragonlord Tarka. Because his deck went a little big. Like, he had one of Johnny Mentor of Heroes and, like, Dead Protectors and stuff. So he could grind a little bit. And he was actually, like, doing pretty well. But, like, I couldn't get off of it because I knew the cyber plane was good. And I thought the metagame was going to be more controlling. Uh, and, like, obviously, like, you know, the only person who's going to play the Kibler deck is Kibler. Uh, so we end up, uh, you know, going uh, going into this pro tour. The metagame's super aggressive. We got it wrong. There was the one team that played, like, the Pantheon that was playing a control deck. They all lost on day one. And um, and we didn't do as well. We, we had a reasonable record, but we didn't really put anybody near the top of the standings. So people sort of forgot about our deck. Though if you look at the stats, we, we still did pretty well. Um, but Kibler spent the entire day just beating up on red decks with his Dramokas Command, like, mid-range creature deck. Went 9-1 and constructed. His deck was awesome. It, 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 like, it ended up being, like, sort of worse than the Abzan Hangerback deck that emerged as the best deck. But he basically, like, built a green-white version of that deck, right? And and which was even better for that metagame because his mana base wasn't as, as bad. And that was the thing that, like, the way you lost. So he just 9-1 constructed, crushed everything. His deck was awesome. And we were all kicking ourselves for not playing it. But he won five limited, so he just finished ten six. <laughs> you know, what I realized we uh we went like straight into matching this episode. I didn't ask you like how your how your weekend was or anything like. That. I'm sure we're gonna get some comments about like, hey, where was the typical BS that we have at the beginning of the show? I mean, it was we did bullshit for half an hour, but we yeah. we bullshitted about magic. So yeah. you know, sometimes sometimes it overlaps. Yeah, we talked about this ahead of time. Like we we're so for everybody at home. Ross and I have at least a, like a, a 10 to 30 minute chat before every before every episode or have some chats like text wise about like what we're going to talk about on this episode. You know, we do like a little bit of research, pull up some lists, et cetera, et cetera, because, you know, you want to have like some show notes, follow along, figure out what we want to get to. We are professionals. God damn it. Yeah, we are prepared. I'm using quotations. I think they can hear the air quotes there. Um, there's just not a lot to talk about this week. And uh you know, I was out of town the entire weekend. Like, I left I left town Thursday. I got home late last night after making a 12-hour drive practically by myself. With three other people and a dog in the car, but, like, I was behind the wheel for most of it. It's more draining than it feels like it should be. And uh, I just, like, didn't want to... I was thinking about it. I was like, man, we should, like, get a guest this weekend because I know some people have, like, reached out about wanting to guest on. I was like, we could easily do that. Or we could do, like, a fun episode about, like, you know, like a like some other topic along the pioneer, you know, stratosphere kind of thing. Like, you know, weave it in. And uh, man, I was just too tired. I worked today, even though my office was closed. You know, I put in a solid like four or five hour work day after like, dude, I slept in today. It felt great. I was in bed for like ten thirty last night, like ten ten thirty. Probably got to sleep somewhere around then. I slept to like eight or nine. I had like ten hours of sleep last night. Oh yeah, I bet that felt great. Yeah, my wife knew. Yeah, she knew, so she bit the bullet, got up, and took the dog away this morning, because, like, the dog will get up and start making noise, and 
my wife is deaf, so she just takes her hearing out, aids out when she sleeps. And so she can't hear anything. So when the dog, if the dog needs something or gets up and needs to go to the bathroom, guess who wakes up every time? It's me. And so I'm the one that has to go take care of it. But uh, I had an interesting weekend, you know, went to, went to Orlando for a few days. Uh, one, one day was really fun and one day wasn't. Um, I had a family member die. And, uh, or, you know, pass away, however you want to say it. And uh, went and did, went to the service. It was beautiful. Um, got to hang out with the family. That was good stuff. We did go to Disney on one of the days, uh, completely free, which is nice. Um, got to see the new Star Wars park. But we didn't get to ride, like, the... Uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like, you know, the main ride of that. You know, like, when they do the... The marquee ride, Yeah, I the guess. marquee ride. So, like, when they do... Um, a lot of the times that they do, they do, like, a little add-on to a park... And the whole section is, like, based on something. Like, there's, like, an Avatar section. Uh, Harry Potter kind of goes around this. They have a bunch of rides and stuff because it's huge. But every time they do, like, this little section of, like, of a movie or something, it has, like, one marquee ride. You had zero chance to get on it that day. There's nothing you could do. There's no line you could wait in. It was full, like, as soon as the morning starts. Apparently, you have to download an app or something like that. Tell them you're coming. And then join, like, the virtual queue because it can only hold so many people throughout the day. Or something like that. So there was zero chance that we got to go on this ride, which sucks because I wanted to do it. But other than that, it was pretty cool. Um, I got to do, you know, the whole park thing. And then, you know, my dog enjoyed it. Always enjoys, like, the, the cool new things being surrounded by a bunch of, you know, people and stuff. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. I had a very non-magic-related weekend as well, even though I was in Roanoke. Just a lot of uh, stuff with Roanoke People's Power Network. My Valentine's Day was spent organizing, uh, well, I guess running, helping to run a concert that was our fundraiser for the roanoke community bail fund ended up grossing close to a thousand dollars i haven't got nice. the final count yet because we, we got some paypal donations and i don't handle that but I, I was having fun counting the money after the concert ended about 1 a.m uh and, and sorting it all out counting it and you know um we sold a bunch of uh sold a bunch of baked goods and had a silent auction and a raffle for a bunch of cool prizes and stuff. I won one of the silent auctions for a, a gorgeous uh, piece of artwork of Harriet Tubman um, that was donated. So that was great. Um, you know, and uh, now we're sort of preparing a presentation that we're in the, the final workings of. So I had a very uh, non magic weekend, which is nice. I always like to do that on my week off. Now I'm kind of feeling like stressed because I haven't done testing for indie, so I'm probably going to be a little behind for that event. But you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I, I had a tiny bit of magic this weekend. I watched a little bit of coverage, you know, watched the World Championships or whatever. Um, another thing that happened, uh, I went to the local store with my cousin, um, who's you know one of the family members that came in for the thing, and so he just wanted to be distracted from what happened this weekend, and so I knew that this is something he was going to do. So we uh, we went to like the local uh, what what's the name of it? Uh, cool stuff is down there, like one of the you know the the bigger the bigger named stores. So uh, I went to the, the local store there. They were like getting done with a tournament or whatever, and my friend and I were uh, my cousin and I were we played a little bit of commander. I brought a commander deck. We played and it was fun. You own a commander deck? Yeah, I have two actually. Yeah, Ugh. it's actually fun, and it's it's the main way that people in my area play. So it's like it, it's nice to not have anything like super competitive or whatever. I don't buy into a lot of the stuff of the format, but I do like some of it. But it was really funny at one point we're sitting there playing and I saw somebody walk by and like double take at me. You know, they're like, is that, you know, and then, and then they look at what I'm playing and I think in their mind, they're like, nah, he would never be playing that <laughs> or whatever. It walks by or whatever. But uh, you spoke about Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody out there. Um, one of our listeners 
you know, asked last week for help about what he should, what uh, meal he should make his girlfriend, who's a vegetarian. And I sent him a recipe and it went over well. He found like almost everything on the very complicated recipe and had to make the last thing. And he was like, I don't know. It doesn't look super pretty, but it was damn good. I'm like, yeah, that's a lot of vegetarian food. Yeah. What, <laughs> but, what was it? Uh, it it's oh God. What is the name of this thing? It's it's technically a salad. But it's like chickpeas with uh, just a whole bunch of. Hold on, let me find the name of it. I'll do this while chickpeas I, go really well in salads. Yeah, and stuff like that. So um, definitely helped him out there. Can you guess what my wife and I did for, for Valentine's Day dinner? Think about this. We've been at Disney all day and walking around and stuff. So okay, so clearly you didn't go out and have a fancy dinner, and the dog was probably with you. The dog was not with us. Here, real quick, uh, it was a baharat spice couscous salad. Oh, that was the recipe. Okay. Yeah, that was, that was the name of the recipe. But no, um, so. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we, we joke about this. We're, we're not vegetarian, but we're pretty plant-based. Like I actually have not had meat since this meal, or I think I had like a small piece of meat with like one, with one meal since then. But this was what Friday night. Yeah. Friday night. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. I had, I had, uh, some meat at the service. Cause that was like what they served. They served barbecue. Cause that's what the guy, that's what the, the, the guy wanted. Um, we went to uh, a highly rated local Korean barbecue restaurant because uh-huh. we don't have that here. And we you know, liked it a lot while we were in Vegas because it's on every corner in Vegas. And I'll tell you this. The meal was great. They had a, a sweet Valentine's Day thing. It was 50 bucks for two people. You got like the premium thing where you could order from everything. You know, it's like appetizers, everything and um, and, and a free dessert. Which we didn't know, but it was, it was only one of the desserts, but it's what I would have ordered anyway. It was um, fried Oreos. Have you ever had fried Oreos before? Have you had the fried Oreo at Jack Brown's in Rome? Oh, yeah, that's right. I have. It was good, delicious. Yeah. Yeah. And so a really good one. The meal was great, but I'll tell you this. Whenever you eat, like, I'm sure it would affect you even more, but whenever you eat, like, more plant-based and you start to, like, really cut down on your meat consumption stuff, and then you have a meal like that. Yeah, it can mess with you. Oh, I was. I'm. I think I'm just getting out of it today. Like I'm just getting back to normal, like somewhat today. But anyway, Pioneer stuff. There was some tournaments this weekend. There was actually a challenge online, and there was a PTQ online, and the PTQ was won by a friend of ours. Yeah, Dylan Donigan. Congratulations Congrats. to him. Yeah, from Team Lotus Box playing Demir Inverter. And Big surprise. Yeah, you know, good player, good deck, wins tournament. News at eleven. You know. I wish maybe you spit. I was taking a drink of water. I'll just spit it out. Go ahead. <laughs> Everything about his deck looks pretty stock. Uh, this one Narset I am seeing in a lot more lists. I guess that's a thing now. Um, probably just like good in mirrors, right? Yeah, it's just a solid two or three for one, like as well. I mean, you're you're in essence, this is a control deck, right? Yeah, it's it stops them for drawing cards with Jace. It makes them opt in your turn. Like is a dig through time. Like you know, seems like a solid card. Um, but like I see them incorporating that. I think the big thing is like. There's probably two camps now with the the Demir Pioneer or Demir Inverter deck, and it's do you pack rat in the sideboard or do you not? Dylan chose not to. Won a mirror in the finals against uh, uh I'm not even gonna try to read this name. Uh, uh, I'm too good. For, it's like I'm too good for you, Barn, but it's like Goot. Goot. Like G-O-T. Okay, I'm yeah, too good for you, to be, Barn, or something like that. Yeah, they have four pack rats in their sideboard, and like there's another Demir Inverter list down in the top eight that doesn't have any, so. It does seem like they're kind of split into camps. Um, the cool thing I'm seeing is a couple of them uh, sideboarded, and one of them even main had Ashiok Nightmare Muse. That's the new the new Ashiok. Yes, the, the five, five mana Ashiok. Yeah, 
Yeah, they're, they're all just like sideboard and weird stuff to like win the mirror, I think. Or, or also, beat control decks. Yeah, Donigan's is one of the ones that only has six discard main, while the second place list had the full eight, which is like something that's been happening more. And it was four thought of rage or four thoughts. You just rip their hand apart, just do the do the thing, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I can see if, if you're expecting a lot of mirrors, you know, if both players have a bunch of discard, you generally don't want to have as much because, you know, you're just going to tear each other's hands apart and then drawing the discard off the top is bad. Um, so it does seem like Donegan would be slightly ahead just based off the lists. Um, but the big takeaway is that Demir Inverter is the number one deck. Like we weren't sure if the Lotus Breach deck was going to get, you know, completely broken and like, you know, there was talk of it maybe being like Eldrazi numbers from Eldrazi Winter and things like that. And that hasn't really happened, even though there's not like an overwhelming amount of hate. You see a lot of sideboards that just have like two damping spheres in addition to their normal stuff. Um, but really, it's Demir Inverter that is the most popular deck at every tournament. It always puts like multiple copies in the top eight. Um, you know, and uh, there is, uh, I think there's a couple reasons why that's the case. Uh, one is it's just more of flexible of a deck, right? You know, there's no, we've gone over this, there's just no hate cards for Demir Inverter. It can win in a multitude of different ways. It has a bunch of disruption, a bunch of card advantage, um, you know, it, and its combos, you know, difficult to disrupt. So it, it's a it's a very comforting deck, I think, for a lot of people to play because you, you can answer anything, but nothing is going to KO you. And I think players really gravitate towards decks like that. It's why people like mid-range a lot because mid-range gives you that feeling even though sometimes it ends up being the opposite, right? You know, the best mid-range decks are the ones that get to be a good control deck against aggro decks and a good aggro deck against control decks. The bad, Sometimes you're playing a bad mid-range deck and you're just not effective at either plan. It just kind of looks like you are. Uh, but people, I think most Magic players are attracted to decks like that that make it, at least like on paper, have a shot against anything, are never down and out, uh, and have a plan against everything. And also, like, mid-range decks, they just play, like, pretty straightforward magic at a conceptual level. You know, you got your removal spells to handle their creatures. You got your discard spells to, like, punch through counter spells uh, and do that. Uh, and, like, you're building towards a very defined endgame where, you you know, you combo with Inverter and Jace or Oracle. Uh, you know, the, the details are complicated with this deck. It's a tricky deck to play because the win condition is different. Uh, and sometimes you got to, like, manage cards in your graveyard and things like that. But for the most part, you're just disrupting them a bunch early, casting your dig through time, and then figuring out how to set up your combo from there. Uh, and that, that's a really straightforward way of doing things. But a deck like Breach is linear. You know, there are cards like Damping Sphere, to a lesser extent, Graveyard Hate, or Eidolon of Rhetoric that can shut you down, and that's scary. And the Breach deck in particular, unlike a deck like, say, Sneak and Show in Legacy, is not straightforward in what it does. Sometimes you are just a breach deck, and you know you you set that up with with Lotus Field. Sometimes you're a ramp deck and you fave wishes for Ugin. Sometimes you're a control deck and you fave wishes for your sweeper, and then go from there into a win condition, whether it's Ugin or set up Underworld Breach. And like how you play games is really dependent on the specific matchup, what kinds of hate your opponents have, and, and you know, in addition to the technical intricacies of the deck, which are different from normal magic, because you're, you know, 
Like, do I blow my hidden strings early to be able to cast this poor right now, or do I wait a turn on it? Those are, you know, conceptually difficult questions to answer unless you're really experienced with those kinds of decks, and most players aren't because combo decks aren't very common. So what ends up happening is, like, you know, those decks just don't get played as much as they should based on their power level, in part because people rationalize and say, oh, I'm not going to play the deck, it's going to be hated out. In reality, I think it's pretty clear that the deck is good enough to succeed through hate and more people should be playing it. But, you know, the, the option of playing this inverter deck, which is also really good, is going to suppress it. And I wrote about this last week where, like, I expected the inverter deck to be more heavily played and Breach to not be as heavily played in the post-Players Tour metagame, and that's what's happening. And it, it, it has a lot to do with just where most Magic players are comfortable. Does it have a little, a little bit to do with Dampening Sphere, too? Just, like, there's this ubiquitous hate card that every deck can cast on turn two against you? Yeah, I mean, I I think that plays into the rationalization part. Like, every, right, you know, right. you're going to say, oh, everybody's going to, you know, have a bunch of these hate cards, and it's going to be tough to beat. And if you look at the reality, like, no, like occasionally you'll see somebody who shows up with four. Like, And, and like, you can still beat those people, right? And you, you have answers to their hate cards. Your game one is still going to be really strong. But for the most part, people are playing like two damping series on their sideboard. That's just not a big deal. I went through this. I went through this with you, actually. You and Jim, who just refused to play Is It Phoenix for like six months at every team event. And it wasn't you who went through like this line of reasoning. It was Jim. Jim just every before every team event was like, oh, everybody's going to hate out the Is It Phoenix deck. That, was, just that wasn't me. That was yeah, Jim. It was, it was Jim saying that. Yeah. You ended up not playing it. You used the, I'm not comfortable playing it. Let me just play Tron. And I was like, I'm going to be sitting right there. Well, to, to <laughs> be fair, be fine. To, to be fair, real quick. Um, I played Tron in three opens. Uh, I made top four, top four, uh, top 16. And then, and like was very good at beating the Phoenix matchup, by the way. I think I was like, I had an absurd record against it. And then when I realized how dumb I was, because I, I was like, dude, this other deck is just broken. I started playing the Phoenix deck. You know, but it took you a while. It and did. I spent every team open trying to convince you all to play the Phoenix deck, and uh, mm-hmm. you, or, and every individual open too. Yeah, and it, it was just infuriating hearing Jim talk about how they're going to hate the deck out, and that like it, you know there was just no good hate for Is It Phoenix. I was I was never worried about that. I, I'd sat next to you too many times and seen you beat too many yeah. quote unquote hate cards. So yeah, it was just infuriating the entire time. I kind of get the, the the choice thing, though, because, like, I've definitely fallen victim to it before. I remember there was an open years and years and years and years ago that I played in, and it was, like, one of the first opens where, like, the blue-white flash deck had just made, like, big waves and constructed, you know, with, like, Augur of Bolas, Snapcaster Mage, Restoration Angel, just a whole bunch of cards that, like, at face value are not super great, but when you put them all together, the deck was really sweet, right? And it, like, won this event, and I was really worried that everybody was going to hate on it at the next open or it did really well, or like two, you know, big name players played it. And I put in a ton of time with it. I was like really good at it. I loved the deck. The deck had thoughts cower in it. I mean, like what more do I really need? Let's be real. <laughs> That's that. I'm good. I'm sold. I'm like Kibler with Lamar else. Let's go. Give me thoughts cower. You've seen me do it anyway. Yep. Uh, and I just talked myself out of it and played this other deck that have been good against the rest of the field. I got demolished in this open. My buddy played the deck and won the open or whatever. So I was just like, God, I just got like the extra dagger. Yeah. Or whatever. You know, yeah. He, he, like this is a mindset that like even you know good players fall victim to, and it really does affect the the way the metagame evolves. And I've just seen it happen too many times at this point, uh, you know. And uh, so I, I was not at all surprised by this weekend's results being a lot of inverter. 
And, you know, just going a little further on that subject, and because I think it's something that's good to talk about, um, you know, the year that I had on the SDG tour, I did really well. You know, a lot of people ask me, like, you know, what changed? Well, like, there's there's some other stuff, but one of the things I said was I stopped trying to be smart and just got out of my own way and just played good decks. And if you look at my deck selection overall, the events I played, and I almost always was just playing, like, the best deck or the deck that I was going to play the best. And I wasn't, like, switching every week, trying to get, like, super far ahead of the metagame. I was just like, no, I'm just going to play the, the broken-ass thing. You, you want to know who else started doing that and winning a whole lot more? Who's that? Harlan Fuhrer. Yeah. And nobody like nobody remembers the days of Harlan playing, like, you know, Kiki Jiki, Pestermite, Blue Moon <laughs> in modern. Or, um, like, Azurius Control with, like, Rattle Chains in it. Yeah, I don't know what it... He, that, he did that at a team event. Two chains? He had, like, just two Rattle Chains yeah. in his deck. He kept saying it all day long. And I'm like, I wouldn't be happy about this. This isn't good. But you, do, <laughs> you do you. You're just happy when you have Bolt and Snap in your deck. Um, he just kept showing up with decks like that to opens and putting up, you know, mediocre results. And then last year, last year, he just told me every time, like, I'm just going to start playing good decks. And he started doing it. It just won every tournament. Yeah. Like another good example, this is the one you're going to use, is, you know, Brennan DeCandio in Modern. Like there was, a, there was a joke going around. He just kept playing these, like, he played like mono green devotion at like yeah. an open. And like the, the, the very first open where BCT, BCW was a thing. He played green devotion. Yeah, I remember this. And so like he did not day two. There's, there's, it, it's really funny if you go back to the to the modern open that he won. Um, he actually talks about it, the winning thing, and they were like, "Yeah, I think Nick gives him some shit about it." And he's like, "You know, we've seen your deck choices before in modern, and they're pretty bad. Like, what made you play Shadow? Because this is when Shadow was broken." And he's like, "He's like, um, I had made a decision beforehand that I was going to play better decks, and so he just messaged me like a week before the tournament. He goes, what am I playing?'" He's like, "I'm not gonna, I'm not making the decision because I'm gonna get it wrong." And I was like, "Just play Shadow. It's broken." And he just wins the tournament. Like, I thought he would do well, you know, because he's good at magic. But he just wins the tournament. I'm like, this is a bit ridiculous. But yeah, so just stop handicapping yourself. Play good decks. And uh, so anyway, yeah, Diverter, Diverter, Demir Inverter. We should probably call it Diverter. Diverter, really, really great in uh, Pioneer. We all kind of knew that. Um, It looks like it is going to be taking over, you know, Breach taking a back seat. But we could see what happens this weekend. There's a there's a there's an open coming up. A lot of Pioneer going to go on. Um, have you taken a look at the third and fourth place lists from the, the PTQ? Because they're both kind of sweet. Yeah, uh, especially third place from Geo9595. This is Simic Ramp. And really kind of Simic Uro, right? It's a little bit less rampy because there's Sator Wayfinder, where the, you would normally see a ramp spell. Uh, but it's like Arboreal Grazer and this is Pilgrimage. You know, we're going all the way up to Ugin and got one copy of Ember Cold Promised End. But um, d- definitely trying to enable Uro as both a ramp spell and, and a good resilient threat. Um, with Seder Wayfinder and Cavalier of Thorns. I played against this deck at the first of the two team opens with Mono Red, and I got eviscerated. Yeah, so I do think this deck is actually pretty sweet, right? And when you look at it, um, I like the way that it's built because this deck seems highly tuned to the very specific metagame that's going on in Pioneer right now and the fact that we're not seeing a lot of Mono Red, right? We're seeing a lot of Inverter, we're seeing Spirits and stuff like that. So this deck actually, you know, it does pretty well against Spirits, but it hedges its bets with its sideboard where it has four Mystical Dispute, where normally we see some copies of Spatial Contortion and there just are none in this deck. Usually there's a three or four of them in the sideboard Spatial Contortion. If you play at FNMs and people still play like Mono Red, you still need Spatial Contortion because a Rabble Master straight up beats you or whatever. It's very hard for your deck to beat like the good Mono Red draws without that card a bunch in your sideboard. But if you're only playing against cards, decks like Demir Inverter, Breach, Spirits, I think this is a better way to build the deck, the way that he's done it here, or I'm sorry, the way that they've done it here. And you're also seeing four Ipnu Rivulet in this deck, just another very good card against Demir Inverter that just slots into your deck 
very easily because this is the mono green ramp deck which is some some splash in it because you have Uro, you have hydroid crisis and it allows you to play stuff like mystical dispute and dampening spear on the sideboard plus there's a two of in this sideboard that i asked you a couple weeks ago if we should start playing this in um in pioneer or not there's jason's def defeat excuse me uh, this is a one in a blue instant. It says counter target blue spell if it was a Jace Planeswalker Scry 2. Um, so it's gainsay at its worst. And then if they do cast one of those Jaces, which the Demir deck has what? How many copies did the, the winning list have? Three to four. Yeah, it has three to four. And then they have two more in the sideboard, by the way. They have Jace Friends Prodigy in the sideboard stuff now. So you're looking at like a six of out of these decks that you have a straight up counter spell for that also hits all the other stuff, but then you just get insane value if you get the right one. So cool deck. Uh, I think this one's really, really sweet. Um, Seder Wayfinder and Uro is actually just still really, really good. This is how you fight your mid-range battle and stuff if you play against like the Sultai deck or whatever. And a Boreal Grazer is still just a really messed up magic card. And just another card that's good in the Spirits matchup, just the fact that it helps keep you alive and keep you in racing. And I talked about this with this deck. So this is the secret deck, the deck that has like the secret extra ability in it that it, it only comes up in, like, the Spirits matchup. Because if you look at the creatures in the deck, when you're looking at Boreal Grazer, Cavalier of Thorns, World Breaker, stuff, they all have this extra line of text that never come up to Constructed, but does in that exact matchup. They all have Reach for some reason. And it, it doesn't come up any other time. I don't really... I guess Cavalier of Thorns is on a horse. I, that's the reason they have Reach. Or Boreal Grazer is in the tree, so that makes sense. I think it's because it is a tree. Like, the Cavalier of Thorns is an elemental knight. It's made out of, like, the tree and stuff. Like, the, the horse is literally branches, I think. And the, okay. the, 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 sure. the thing on it is also branches. I don't know. It's an elemental It's an elemental knight. It can do whatever the hell it wants, okay? Yeah. To, to me, this deck is, uh, is recognizing that, like, you can't be too scared of Inverter comboing you. Because they don't combo you on turn five that often. So just, like, play a good game against their disruption and slam powerful threats, and, like, you can overwhelm them pretty often. And cards like Nyssa do that quite well. You've got some good counter spells on the sideboard to help out. And, you and you know, but you mentioned Ipne Rivulet. That card insulates you from specifically the fast combo. Like, they just can't tap out for Inverter on four against Rivulet, so you have an easy way to insulate yourself from their major way of just punking you out in game one. Uh, and it, you match up well against their disruption. So I th think this deck looks pretty cool. It's one of those decks that comes up because not enough people are playing Breach. That's why you see four Damping Sphere in the sideboard. Like, this deck is probably never beating Breach in game one. You know, Probably not. Um, like so you could have like the nuts on the play and probably still have no chance. But, but if your deck is good against everything else, like that's not a bad place to be. And that's yeah. where I think this deck is positioned. Yeah, you just board in your four damning spheres. You probably board in some of the other removal spells. And there's there's either there's even three unravel the aether in here. It's where like if they play breach and do something, you can just kill the breach and be like, is this good enough? Yeah, I think I'd rather just have the counter spells and like counter their uh, pour over the pages and their whatchamacallits? dig through times uh, and stuff. Their uh, granted. strings. Their granted. Oh yeah, yeah. Granted, yeah. Granted, it's the card that you definitely need to interact with. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, no, that, that, this this is a deck to watch out for for this weekend. I think. Yeah, I, I think it definitely is. Did you see the deck that got fourth place? This one actually has some cool stuff in it too. I mean, this is just Azorius Control with like. I think there's one cool card in this deck, and I don't even know if it's good. There's like one new thing, and What's that's that? these these three copies of Render Silent. Right. So the thing I like about this, this is something that I actually played in a control deck back in the day when Thoughtseize decks were really popular. So this is actually a, a counter spell. So it's a, it's a white and a blue below. It says counter target spell. It's controller can't cast spells this turn. This is not a good counter spell. 
I don't, I don't care what anybody says. You can argue with me, whatever. This is not a good counter spell. Yeah, it's but not it, a good card. This is one of those cards that got like hyped because yeah. it's kind of flashy, but it's not actually right. good. It does do a cool thing in that the play lines uh, post sideboard against like decks like this when you're playing, you know, blue black decks like Inverter when you're playing decks with Thought Seizes and stuff like that is they kind of sandbag whatever they're going to do until one turn where they Thought Seize you and then play a spell and play like a big haymaker. And this card stops them from doing that. And it does a good job at that. Other than that, I mean, you can do a lot better as your three mana counter spell. Yeah. And that, we mentioned how both, like, both these decks seem like kind of well positioned. They both finished third and fourth losing to an inverter deck. Because yeah. inverter is first and second. So like, you know, you can only be so good against mm-hmm. what inverter is doing. But I mean, you know, Zuri's control did reasonably well in Phoenix. Like if control is your thing, I think you can play it. If control is not really your thing, I would not play it. There's also Ashiox Erasure in the sideboard here. If you ever snag the right thing, like you snag Inverter from oh, Inverter, yeah. they just can't win that way or whatever. So they can't interact with an enchantment. Plus there's a Settle Wreckage in this deck list and I'm always down I, to like, let's just get them. Ashiox Erasure I think is cool. That's a that's a card I like. So I'm, I'm in for that. We got a nice Niv-Mizzet deck in, in fifth place. So that deck's still, still kind of around. It seems a lot tighter to me in the main deck. You know, like it has like three Uro, four Niv-Mizzet, four Paradise Druid, four Carrieted. There's not as many like, look at these like 17 cool one-ofs that I have or two-ofs as much anymore. And you're not seeing like Siege Rhino anymore. That card I think has seen its day. Yeah. Uh, this list still playing um, a bunch of the Trilands and not as many of the Temples, which is what PV played in his pt top four list um we do see the hour of devastation that pv innovated but um ultimately like pretty stock we don't see the gilded geese we still we see paradise druid instead um this is just like a normal live miss attack uh i don't think this deck is very good but it's definitely powerful it's got two extraction effects main now they're actually upped it there's unmore to you and slaughter games main now and usually that was like a one of i guess it just gives you the extra chance to draw it and cast it it's also games. just good against two of the best decks, so like, why not main deck two? Like that, we we are seeing a, a the metagame shift a, away from needing to beat aggressive decks, right? Aggressive decks got really uh, punished and beat down in Phoenix, and they did not do very well, including Spirits, which was like the best of the bunch, but it was still an under fifty percent. Uh, so I think we're seeing the metagame slow down and lists are being tuned in a way that reflects that. Uh, coming at sixth, we have a Moto Grinder Extraordinaire Yamakiller known for like streaming four challenges at once. You know, the guy just never stops playing magic and streams all of it. But he's playing a deck that you're kind of curious about in this format, right? This mono white devotion deck. Yeah, it's, I see it a lot. If, if you go through like preliminary results and, and you know, I think there's a couple in, in the challenge top eight as well. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that, but if you go, yeah, there's one in eight in the challenge, but if you go through like top 16 of all these tournaments and look at preliminary results, you see a lot of this deck, like a lot of it. It might be the second most represented deck among the, like all of the lists combined to Inverter. And that is really surprising because this deck didn't really do well at any of the three players tours, didn't really do well in the hands of anyone or show up at the, in the team constructed opens, but it's been a deck online for a while. It just hasn't really shown up in paper, and now it's even picking up online. And I wonder if it's because it's it wasn't that good against aggressive decks. Like it, your early plays are not very good. Knight of the White Orchid, you know, Thraven Inspector is great, love that card. But like Knight of the White Orchid, Anafenza, Kintree Spirit, and all the crappy white removal, like those are not good early plays against aggressive decks. They they trump you. But maybe this deck is like pretty reasonable against the top decks in the metagame. 
uh, but was just untenable against the large swath of it. And now that it's narrowed, it's getting better. But I, I just haven't played enough to say either way. Like you said, the, these main deck Gideon of the Trials, like they're annoying for the, the inverter deck to deal with. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think the main cards that you need to look out for here, there's three Gideon of the Trials here, which Inverter can, can interact with this, you know, Breach can interact with this, but it is something they have to interact with, right? And it plays multiple roles. Like, it can help keep you from losing the game, and it's a it's a decent little threat for three mana, too. Also, the the, the number one, the, the plus one ability can do some some cool stuff in certain matchups as well. There's also a couple other cards in here that are a little different. Uh, the... Um, Throne of Eldraine, like white check land, I guess, whatever you want to call them, whatever the, the you know, the series of lands like Mystic Sanctuary, you yeah. know, that type of stuff. Oh, I, I deal with Grange has been in this deck for a while. Yeah, I was gonna say, like but this. it does help you combo a little bit faster in some situations with the yeah. Heliod combo. Sometimes in spaces where your opponent's not expecting it, right? You know, maybe they tapped oh, out. Oh, they can't with this amount of mana, and then they play this land, you're like, oh no. Also, there's Rest in Peace main in this deck too, to kind of give you those extra few turns that might be important in the inverter matchup. If, if, if inverter is going to be played at this kind of number. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, that's like a really big, uh, bet on not having to play against aggressive decks. Like you put rest in peace in your main deck. You're just like this mono red matchup is, it gets a lot worse. You just have a dead card against an aggro deck. Yeah. And then if you, if you look at seventh place or looking at another inverter list, eighth place was the one underworld breach deck to make it in. Deck's still around. Yeah. Pretty stock. Like this is the stock list. Some mm -hmm. people play uh, expansion explosion over the Thassa's Oracle as a main deck win condition, right? Huey had a one main deck mystical dispute instead of the blink of an eye. You know, which you, I think we should see more of. By the way, I think we should see more oh, yeah. main deck mystical disputes right now. You know how Goldfish uh, like shows you for, for any given event. If you click into that event, it'll show you the most played cards. Was mystical the dispute? List. The it is literally played. always mystical dispute. Yeah, because it's it's just in every top deck. It's just all the, in all four yeah. of like the sideboard stuff too. Yeah. So, so like main decking those, I think is not only like reasonable but actively quite good, and people should be doing it more. So um, that about does it for that for that event. Now I want to shift over to the Pioneer Challenge this weekend because a deck that you and I are both like kind of secretly love won this event and i just like really want to play this deck and try it out i haven't had a chance to play pioneer in the last week or two and that's the black white auras deck one you're looking at you know four lc of life's bounty uh you know uh hateful eidolon saram one here and there's a card in here that kind of kind of a new little splash it's just, it's just a two of in the creature slot but there's dryad militant in this version and I gotta say, I'm kind of impressed with this. This is this is a good find and a card that's relevant in this format. Yeah, the uh, the original list from Ken Yukihiro was playing two copies of Favorite Hoplite, which you know m makes sense in the context of the deck, uh, like getting heroic triggers. But in reality, like wasn't super relevant. It was your worst neo creature? That's why you're only playing two copies. Dried Militant provides relevant disruption. You know, so for people if who don't you're... know, Dried Militant is a uh, it's a one drop. You can spin a green or a white on its hybrid mana. It's a two one. Um, if an instant or sorcery card we put in the graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. So lots of splash damage on a lot of the decks here. Go ahead, Ross. Sorry. Yeah. You know, you you really make it hard to cast Dig Through Time, right? Uh, sometimes you can make it hard for them to even inverter you. You know, if you get this down on turn one and they have all discard spells and ops and stuff, they're just not going to have cards in their graveyard and they need a couple. You know, they need a Fable Passage or they need a Kill Spell for the Militant. You know, obviously, like, you have protection for it, but then the Kill Spell goes to the graveyard. But it's still going to, you know, it's going to gum up the works a little bit. Because you're, you're also clocking them while you're doing this, too. Yeah. yeah. This deck has a better clock than you think. If you haven't played against this deck at all, because it hasn't really seen play, you know, you see it every, occasionally. But this deck has a clock. 
because ethereal armor and all that glitters they put in work you know half your creatures or over, over half your creatures 11 out of of 17 so you know 60 percent of your creatures are enchantments the deck has 30 enchantments in it it's half so if you think like you know turn three is when you're casting your all that glitters with protection up you know at that point you have you know seen nine or ten cards means you've seen four or five enchantments and you 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 prioritize getting them onto the battlefield you know all of your armors and all the glitters are giving plus four plus five pretty early in the game it's more than you generally see and that that you know really ups this deck's clock generates a lot of card advantage with sram and hateful eidolon um i i, I think this deck is underrated i know you know it hasn't really caught on but this is the kind of deck that that always gets underrated because it looks very gimmicky. You know, players who've been playing for a while, we're all conditioned to hate auras because they were so bad for so long. And, you know, look at all, you know, we have the, the eight that provide you, you know, an incredible clock. We have Cartouche of Solidarity that provides value and insulation against edict effects. And then we have Griff Spoon and Sentinel's Eyes that come back from the graveyard. So like where, like the only ones that are super risky are armor and all that glitters. And they're risks that are worth taking because if they stick for, you know, two turns, the game is over. And then you have all these ways to recoup that that risk with Hateful Eidolon, you know, Ephemia that can generate card advantage if they kill, if they, you know, two for one you. You have else you have really good protection cards. You know, I didn't realize that Karamector's Blessing gave both Hexproof and Indestructible, which is just like, it just covers everything. So, and gives plus two, plus two. Like, it's... Just a really, really powerful card in this deck. Elsie to Lice Bounty, I think, is just a good card in general. Like the yeah, the I suggested to my modern uh, teammate Chris Marshall, who was playing the Heliod deck, company deck in modern, that the one of Giver of Runes that he had been playing should probably just be a one of Elsie of Lice Bounty, because like Giver, you know, yeah, like the first removal spell kills the Giver. That's what it does. Right, and in this case, in Alcyon, it's the same way. So the difference is, I have to hold up a mana versus I have to wait a turn to get the effect. I think I would take Alcyon in that in that spot. Uh, spot, and also just being a lifeline creature with Heliod is relevant. So, yeah, I think Alcyon of Life Boundary is just a good magic card, uh, and here it's just incredible because you also get the enchantment synergies, and it also means you have eight creatures that just have lifelink by themselves, like. You know, the, the big thing for these Bogles-style decks, Hexproof decks, is to get lifelink on a big creature against aggro. That's why they play, you know, actual spirit, spirit link, link yeah. and unflinching courage. You don't really have an analog here. There's not a good aura in Pioneer that gives lifelink, but 80 of your creatures just have it anyway. Yeah, it's, if you randomly run into those matchups and you just get the spot where you're like, you know, play my creature, play an aura on it while you're tapped out so you can't kill it, they're not going to win anymore. If you like a 4-4 lifelinker in play, like, they're probably going to die. Um, you kind of mentioned uh, Edict Effects or whatever. We haven't seen many in this format, but there's a three of in the sideboard of this deck. You have three Trial of Ambition. It's a one and a black enchantment. Um, it says, when it enters the battlefield, target opponent sacrifices a creature. I'm not going to read the rest of the card because it's not real. Well, it is relevant because you do have a cartouche, but it says, whenever a cartouche enters the battlefield under your control, you can return this to your hand. And the deck does play four cartouches, so this seems like a sweet card in the mirror in, in killing creatures that you know you can't target and stuff, and just getting some big, dumb stuff out of the way as well. It's also an enchantment, so it does trigger some of your stuff. You're still drawing a card off of it. Uh, well, actually, no. Yeah, sorry, it's not like the other one, but yeah. 
it, it does increase your ethereal armors and, and your all the glitters. So it just sits around after doing its thing and still pumps your creatures when they have, yeah, one of the big enchantments on it. So I gotta say, I, I like this deck a lot. I I really want this deck to be good, but this is also the, I, I just like these style of decks. I think they're underrated. Um, I like playing them, so I often recognize that I'm kind of biased. But I do think the deck is powerful. Like, it, and the synergies there are, there's something. This sideboard looks really weird to me. Like, uh, Tomic is, is a nice one against Breach because they can't stage their land. Um, so that's cool. This Timurit chosen from death is really weird. Like, I get you want enchantments and it's an enchantment creature, but like, you have four, 14 black sources and it's not very good graveyard hate. Like, just put a Leyline of the Void in your deck. A one of Leyline. And, and you can. I, would, I don't know what Shepherd of the Flock is supposed to do. It's like another protection spell that's also a creature, but it's just a weak card. Um, I get Apostle Purifying Light. Like, Mono Black seems like a rough matchup, and that's just a really nice card to... to it's really funny. That's what, that's what they beat in the finals of this event, by the way. Yeah, put a bunch of auras on. Getting the Trials obviously makes a lot of sense. They've spread out their removal suite, which is reasonable. You know, Deadweight and Myers Grass, they do cantrip when you cast them with SRAM, because those are auras. Um, Ors of Charm is kind of neat because you can like you know bounce all the ores back when they go to kill your thing, so it's a you know protection spell that can like return Dryad Militant from the graveyard or Alcide of Ice Bounty, uh, you know, or a removal spell. Yeah, it's all and, the mo- modes are really good and relevant. Yeah, yeah, and so for two mana, I, I think that's a reasonable one of, but like that the adventure creatures and the Timurit look really weird to me, and I'm not even sold on the Trial of Ambitions. I think it's a it's a very good card in this deck. I'm just not sure where we want edicts. No, uh, but if, I, if you if you if you make a reasonable argument for some matchup like you know that that's definitely the first edict you would be playing in this deck because it, it works so well but some some weird choices in the sideboard here but pretty stock main deck and a, another deck that like yeah the, i mean i saw this with heroic and standard everybody poo-pooed bant heroic i still regret not playing that deck after the one tournament i played it in uh i think it was very good you know tom ross and todd anderson kept doing well with it I think they both top 16 a GP, you know, the one in London. Uh, so, like, both knocking on the door of that top eight. Uh, and like, nobody played it. Everybody thought heroic decks were horrible. Um, but they're just, they're kind of tricky to play. Like, and this is the kind of magic that Tom is very, very good at. Like, knowing when to jam, knowing when to hold back, um, you know, getting into these tricky combat situations where you're trying to figure like, oh, I'm getting this amount of life when I block this way because of lifelink. And, you know, I can crack back for this amount, you know using your tricks sometimes to get through aggressively like i'll see it can get you through blockers uh, you know all of those things can be tough in this deck to navigate and like it is not a very forgiving deck you know if, if you screw up and play into their removal spell and they have it the game is probably just over uh and i think that also you know turns people off they don't like the idea of that um of that happening and so they just don't play decks like this uh, but you know the synergies here are really powerful, and the individual cards are like pretty good. Mm-hmm. And uh, we mentioned that you know you beat this person beat mono black in the in the top and then sorry in the finals. And I just want to give a shout out to uh, who they beat. They beat Lamp a lot, uh, a nice friend of ours uh, f- from across the sea, as as, as it is, but. They were just playing pretty stock mono black, it seems. I was about to say, I don't see anything really too different or new besides infinite obliteration, but it's just another like cranial extraction type effect out of the yeah. sideboard. But we've definitely seen that rise up. I think agonizing remorse is actually kind of the new thing. You know, you know, exiling the card from their hand is pretty nice. 
especially if it's like Thassa's Oracle because then he doesn't shuffle back in when they invert her. Yeah. Um, you know, stops them from building towards Adele spells. So that's a, that's a cool little discard spell here. Uh, yeah, just... and so I've pointed out this is Lamp a lot. This is actually Michael Bonde, uh, you know, Pro Tour Top 8 competitor and uh, a good friend of mine. And GIF Hall of Fame member. Yeah, GIF Hall of Fame. Yeah. His top eight, a uh, little, I'm doing the dance, and then, woo! Like, yeah, like, it's, it's the, I, I could watch that for a literal 30 minutes straight and not get bored. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's actually Better just... every loop. Th- that that GIF is, like, literally just him in a nutshell. Um, I got to spend a lot of time uh, one summer with him and some of the other Swedes when they spent a good bit of time in Vegas and hung out with us. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple questions about him and see if you knew this. Did you know that this man can sing? Like, he, he sings really well? Uh, better than that. Okay. I did not know that. So, you know how there's, like, uh, what is what is it, American Idol? Yeah. So, they have Danish Idol. Yeah, there's, like, a, a million of these shows across the Right, world. right. Was, and was so, he on Danish Idol? He, like, top 16 did. Or, like, top 8 did or something. shit. Like, he, like, got laid into it, apparently. And um, I remember we were, we were somewhere in a, at a bar, and they had, uh, and they had karaoke, and... It was in the back of our minds. Like, we had heard that he could sing or something, right? Okay. But we had never physically heard him sing. And um, they had karaoke or whatever. And he signs up. And so all of us are at the bar getting a drink. And he goes up there and starts to sing. And he did Mustang Sally. Right? <laughs> and it was it was literally a scene out of a movie where almost none of us are looking at him. Right? Everybody at the bar is, like, turned towards the bartenders, ordering drinks, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And Ross is going to get to see this, but I'll explain what's going on. So we're all, like, sitting there buying drinks. And he hits the first note and then goes into the, you know, like the elongated, like Mustang, you know, whatever. Mustang and, Sally. Yeah, that I wasn't, even gonna, I wasn't even gonna make our listeners listen to that, but he does that. And immediately the whole room gets very quiet and everyone does the, like the slow turn, you know, like the, what? <laughs> you know, and he just busts out this, and no one moves. Everyone listens and just like, you know, pays respect and claps, really. I, I can't remember the other songs that he did, but I just remember that moment very clearly. There was <laughs> that, and then there was another moment we were walking through, I think it's like Planet Hollywood or something, some casino on the Strip, and um, there's some song blaring over the thing that he loves. And so we're all walking by an escalator, and he goes to the um, the escalator, and he's, he's at the end of it, so we're on the second floor, and he's at the end of it, and he starts walking in the opposite direction of the escalator, but he's dancing as he's walking. But since he's going the opposite way, he's not actually like going anywhere. He's just staying in place. And he's like, it's like moonwalking on this. Elevator yeah. He's like moonwalking on this escalator and he's like singing and you can hear him over it. And he's singing better than the, the, the song that's going on. And he's like, just doing this dance with it. And like the, I was like, this man was born to be an entertainer. Like the fact that it did work out sucks. Like whatever, you know, he's a great magic player. He's now a dad and does a lot of stuff at the university and stuff there. But like, this man was born to be an entertainer, and it didn't work out, and I'm really sad that more people didn't get to experience this. Yeah, super multi-talented. Like, also, just a great person, if you've never gotten to meet him and hang out with him. Super hilarious, and I don't know if I've ever seen him in other than just, like, a very joyful mood. You know, just huge smile on his face. Like, just great guy. Those people really tick me off. Because <laughs> they, <laughs> they're just ignorant to, to bliss. Is it like... Just, it, it, ignorance is bliss. Is the, well, I know that bliss, is, but I'm yeah. just saying they're just... They're blissfully ignorant. Yeah, just like just straight all the way to a straight 10 on it. And I, I wish sometimes that I had that, like the happy gene, you know, where you could just like, everything's yeah. all right, like whatever. I was like that earlier in my life. It would be great, but I, you know what also ticks me off is multi-talented people. Like, I'm good at like one thing. Uh, mediocre at a lot of other things. People that are just great at everything. What the hell? 
So we have established the fact that Ross hates Michael Bondé. All right, cool. <laughs> like, come on. You just hate death and Why taxes Why does he players? get to be great? Why does he get to be great at everything? I do hate death and taxes players, too. There you go. <laughs> but like, why does he why does he get to be great at everything? I don't know, Ross. Why does he? Yeah. Probably tries really hard, too. Yeah. I wanted to shout out the fourth place list from the challenge as well. It's a person that's very active in our Discord. Uh, I look for every one of their posts because they always post really sweet A deck list. Uh, they, they write a lot as well. And B, they're really, their food game is really high. They do a lot of food photos and recipe photos. I gotta say, though, he his food game is less sweet and more savory. No. All right. Anyway, <laughs> not a lot of desserts coming out of Yeoman Five. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's all about the food, like the actual, like the actual meal, the the meat and potatoes type stuff. Even though he doesn't use a lot of potatoes and stuff. But anyway, but it's uh, it's Yeoman Five. Uh, he topped forward with Soltai Delirium. Uh, big shout out, good run this week. I was following him on Twitter while he was doing this because I was in the yeah, car like posting round by round updates. Yeah, yeah, and he gives like he gives like a little blurb with it too, which is really nice. Give you like a overall like he's like, hey, I messed this up this round, but I'll try to tighten up or whatever. Like super positive <laughs> guy. Like uh, I I like Yeoman Five a lot. Like I like, I like his presence. Everybody's also positive now. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> the the other reason I wanted to bring this up is this is another deck that I thought we would start seeing more of, and we're kind of not seeing a lot of it right now. Like what's going on with that? Yeah, I'm not exactly. Sure why i do think the deck is quite good um though one of the issues with it is that it was if you look at the stats from all the players chores it is awesome against aggressive decks yeah so the you know it sort of pushed out the things that made it really good in the first place it's still fine like it, it actually has reasonable matchups against inverter and breach not great but reasonable so as the metagame is narrowed it's gotten a little bit worse but this is also the, this is the, another style of deck that like you know mid range removal spells creatures uh, I can do a little of everything I'm never out of it kind of deck that people are attracted to it's just that inverter is like you know so popular and everybody's talking about it I think if you see like a if we see a dig through time ban you're gonna see this deck explode in popularity mm-hmm. um, but for now it's sort of a victim of its own success because the its best matchups are just not very well represented. Um, but it's powerful enough to contend even in a less than favorable metagame, because it's definitely a good deck, and Uro is a super fucked up magic card. Yeah, it's really good. I'm actually, I was telling Ross before this started tonight, I'm like, am I really going to have to go freaking pick up four Uro? Because it's like, it's all over Pioneer, it's all over Standard, it's really good in Modern. It won the Legacy Challenge this weekend as well. Like, it's getting played in Legacy. That one, I'm not sure of. I'm telling you right now, casting a three mana explore to gain three life and draw. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm into that, but we'll see. Uh, I'm sure there's some matchups where that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I, who I'm, cares about legacy though? Yeah. I'm there's like, that there's format like again. swords to plowshares in that format. Like what, what are we doing? <laughs> or you're just dead. There's Emrakul. But, uh, one of the only other things I wanted to point out was, uh, eighth place is another one of the, uh, mono white devotion decks. This one had a couple different things in it. Like you're seeing Elspeth's son's nemesis in this one, multiple Elspeth's conquers death. In the main deck, just a couple different card choices. Nothing too crazy or out there. I, I but I still don't get this deck. Like, yeah. what is so good about it? Like, I've already been unimpressed by Heliod Ballista. Yeah. Uh, like, I get that. Like, you can play this Nykthos game, but the decks at the top are either ignoring that kind of game or have a bunch of disruption, which makes it hard to Nykthos for you know a ton of of mana. So I don't really. I just don't get it. I hate the card Arcanist Owl. I think it's just mopey. Um, but you know, obviously like works really well in the deck. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just really surprised to see this deck pop up as much as it has. 
And I think this weekend, you know, big paper event, individual pioneer is going to be a big test. Like, is this the breakout deck from the weekend? It might, it might be. I could see it doing that, putting like multiple people in top eight, maybe winning the trophy. But I could also see the deck falling flat on its face, nobody playing it, it doing nothing. So like the range is wide. And we've talked about this in the past. I, th- I think paper is always going to be a little bit behind. So like, say, let's say this even is like the next thing that you should be doing. I don't know if we're going to see that. I, I think, and pretty obviously the most played deck should be like Inverter, Breach. I think Spirits will still get played quite a bit because I think a lot of people, A, own that deck. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and B, just like want to play that kind of style. They want to play like a creature-based type yeah. thing. I, I agree. I, I think those are your top three decks and I think Delirium will be fourth. And, and then I think the the tron deck the the green blue i always call it the tron deck when it was mono green i called it that the the green blue ramp deck i think it's a deck that's going to show up because we've seen people do well with this deck you know i, th- I it almost top four to the team event yeah, i think it lost playing for top four and it's it's put up some decent results and it seems like it has a decent enough game against the other stuff plus people like those kinds of decks you know they're big they're flashy they do a lot of broken stuff and if you expect salt delirium to be a deck and here i haven't played that matchup and yeah, Thoughtseize does a lot, but I've got to believe you're pretty heavy favorite game one. If like you, yeah. they've got like Fatal Push in their deck and like all these cards that don't really matter, and they have Thoughtseize, but I mean like they can't Thoughtseize the top of your deck, and like how does that deck ever beat an Ugin on like turn five? They just don't have a great clock. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's what we can kind of expect for Indy. One thing I did want to talk about Indy is. I, I want to know what your read on the metagame for food is for Indy, because like you've been there a lot more than I have. But there's that one place that I always talk about in Indy that you should go. It's uh, Ale Emporium, right? Is that the name of it? Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I keep telling people about it as well. If you want wings or pizza, Ale Emporium, tell them I sent you. You're welcome. This place. I think the pizza is massively overrated and not very good. Uh, but the, okay. But massively the overrated are- is probably you being hyperbolic. But two, uh, I remember I went two days in a row. I went with like uh, Todd and obviously I went with Todd, you know, Mr. Anderson loves this and I went with Jerry and some other people. And I got to say, there were some of the better wings and pizza I had in a long time. The, the wings are among the best things I've ever put in my mouth and easily the best wings I've ever had. It's not remotely close. They're unbelievably good. Yeah. These are the Hermanaki wings at Ale Emporium. This place seats like 300 people and I frequently see it packed. Yeah. I've never seen a restaurant so busy. Yeah, they they smashed it. Whatever yeah. whatever it is, they smashed it. Yeah, this is it's like a half hour drive outside of the city, so it's awkward to get to. Worth it, but I promise you, it is worth it to go there on Friday. It is unbelievable. I cannot say enough good things about it. As for closer to the event site, there's a great upscale Mexican place with great tacos, like two blocks. Uh, from the convention center called Nada. Ross, do you know who loves tacos? I do. I, I, I also love tacos. love tacos, but you know who else loves tacos? Everyone. Anyway, yeah. continue. Everyone loves tacos. Uh, so Nada would be a high suggestion. Um, there's a, like the, I know Nick Miller really likes the Weber grill and, and that's pretty good and also close to the site. I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about the Nick Miller food. Like I feel he's really good sometimes and sometimes he's way off. Anyway, continue. Uh, I'm I'm generally happy to take his suggestions. Yeah, the more I think about it, the more he's just right. Yeah, go ahead. He gets kind of pigeonholed in, like at That's this point, like That's he just knows exactly where he wants to go in every city, and I I usually do a little more experimenting. That's what it is. Um, what I don't experiment with though is my Saturday morning breakfast at every Indie Open. I go to Cafe Patachu. 
There's one of these in the airport, but there's one right by the the venue, very close to the Westin, which is across the street. It's like if you go behind the Westin and a block down, Cafe Patachu, I think it's on the park because they all have like different on the wherever the location is. Mm-hmm. I think there's like three of them. Um, and their breakfast is great. There is frequently a line, but with buys, I can wait. Um, and they have the Cuban breakfast, which is like black beans and rice and fried uh, egg, right? Fried egg. Yeah, fried egg. I always get an extra egg and some like cheese on it. And then this incredible like spinach, cilantro, jalapeno, pesto thing. Like it's so good. And it's just everything I ever want for breakfast. If you add avocado to that, it sounds perfect. Oh, th- there is avocado. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Yeah. Like, yeah. Add some pepper. We're, we're good to go. Yeah. The, the rest of their menu is really good. Uh, so that's where I eat breakfast, uh, at least on Saturday. Um, where else? There's a, there's plenty of good, like, you can walk around. There's plenty of good places. You don't have like to get everything Elmo's. now. You can put it in the, the food section, the Discord and stuff, too. Yeah. St. Elmo's is the one that gets talked about, the steakhouse that has the really big shrimp cocktail with the really spicy cocktail sauce. Okay, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard that that place is generally, like, overrated and pretty expensive for what it is, but I've never been. Um, but, in, in, you know, you, you don't you, – you can have a lot of options. Like, if you Google around, you, you'll find some good ones. But I always hit up Nada, and I always hit up Cafe Patachu. Mm, nice. Uh, anything in the lead for your choice to play this weekend? Do you want to talk about that or not? I am very likely to play Breach. The only thing that will prevent me from playing Breach is in a literal inability to acquire the cards. So card availability is is the is the crutch here. It's well, I mean, it, because there's literally no, nothing else that could. You know, if if I if the deck is available to me, I will be re- I will be registering. It is exactly my shit, and the deck is very good. So if anybody hears this, that going to be in the indie open this weekend and can get ross a copy of this deck because boy is it hard to find hidden strings yeah i haven't started to try to look for cards yet so like i don't know what i'm gonna end up needing but i'll figure it out i don't know so maybe it's close to like a breach 85 you know like (laughs) some of the flex stuff ross ross might need some help from you so uh i was gonna say all right pick a winner for this weekend what deck um so I think the most likely deck to win is just Inverter, because I think that deck will be the most represented deck among the better players in the room. Um, so I think it's the most likely deck to win. But I do think that Breach is being underrated right now. Uh, so th- it's very close to me between those two decks. You so Even though it'll be less likely to win, I think it's uh, like those individuals will have a higher chance of winning than the, in- the good individuals who are playing uh, Jameer Inverter. I'm going to go... Um... Not out on a limb, and then out on a limb. Okay. Okay. So, what's your limb choice? What's my what? Or what's your not non limb choice? That's it, the the safe one first. Uh, Demir Inverter wins the tournament. Yeah. So, what's your limb out on a limb? Specifically, by a Lotus Box player who somehow figures out the like three different cards that needed to be changed and just breaks it. Like, is really good in the mirror. You know what I mean? They just have like a more highly tuned list type for thing. Inverter. Right. So, so Dylan Donigan. Yeah, so Dylan Donigan winning, Zanzayed <laughs> winning, something something like that. Jeremy Bertroni, you know, pick pick one of them. They're always interchangeable at this point because of like if one of them's doing well, then the, then the other one does, and if that one doesn't, then that one does. You know, like they, that team just crushes it pretty often. But uh, super looking forward to that. Uh, I know Team BCW will be there um, after not all, all of y'all being at the last event, and the manager is going to yeah. be there because he lives in Indy, so pretty cool. We're, we're going to have a challenge event. I will not be there. I believe it is. Uh... 
oh, I, I don't want to. I know Co- Corey and Ely are two of the three. I don't know who the third is. Yeah, you don't want to sell the wrong person or put, put the wrong person in front of the bus. But a lot of cool things. Going on. Rick will be there, the manager for BCW. Tell him I said hi if you see him. Really cool stuff. Make sure you check out that BCW event. If you if you don't, they give away a lot of free stuff. If you like free stuff, I like free stuff. We'll all be tweeting about it. The BCW account will be tweeting about it. So you can get all the details there. Uh, and there's one more cool thing that's going to be happening this there this weekend. Uh, I, I, I think I forgot to mention this before the show. Ross, but you you have something that you have to do this weekend while you're there. You need to go to the Inkland Customs um, little booth that she has. Yeah, she has our first shipment of tokens for the for the podcast. Oh wow! So awesome. you're going to be handed a hundred tokens for the podcast. If somebody really really wants one there, I yeah. I, I guess. Oh, I will hand them out. Don't yeah. worry. Don't go crazy because you need to bring those with you when you come visit me at the end of March. We need to sign a bunch of them so we can start sending them out to our patrons. But uh, we will have an extra 100 coming. Like, we have a second 100 coming. So we have a, a shipment of 200 coming. It's, for it's now. pronounced 100. Uh, 200. We, a, we got 200. We have a second 100. Yeah, we got 200 uh, coming this weekend. So a lot of cool things. Uh, before we start signing off, would you, did you watch any of the NBA uh, stuff this weekend? I did watch a bit of the All-Star game. But I didn't see any of the, uh, like, uh, you know, lead-up events. Was Aaron watch. Gordon robbed? Uh, I assume so. He was robbed the first time. And yeah, they should just have two dunk contest trophies but, and just a zero for some reason. The, the all-star game i tuned in just to watch the you know the jazz players and like see them for a few minutes and then i got like kind of into it because of the new format so one of the with, with the, the drafting of the players and stuff is that no no they did that last year the, the game was formatted differently how's that so they every they played every quarter as though it was in individual or at least the first three and the winner of that quarter they were each playing for a different charity and the winner of that quarter got hundred thousand dollars for their charity oh, that's cool if that quarter ended up tied then that 100k rolls over to the next thing and the other charity still gets something right? i remember they said that afterwards it made it look like that the charities sure got nothing I'm sure, they I'm, still got yeah, i'm sure there was a minimum yeah they ended up both getting something so uh because they, they split the first two quarters but then after at the end of the third they go back and show the cumulative score from the first three quarters and then you play the fourth quarter and they do what's called uh elam format some dude that like like thinks this is just a better way to do basketball games, and instead of playing a timed fourth quarter, based on the score or not, well, it, you could do it a couple different ways, uh, but they set a target score, and then it's just first to that target score, and they decided to do Elam twenty four twenty four in honor of Kobe Bryant, uh, and so they took whoever was leading and pl- added twenty four to that score, and that became the target score, and so they played the fourth quarter, and they the guys. Both teams started playing hard. This was a re- just a regular season basketball game. It wasn't a playoff basketball game. It was a regular season basketball game. They were playing hard. Kyle Lowry was trying to take charges. <laughs> <laughs> the first time he did it, it was a, just a very obvious charge, and they didn't call it. And then the, the refs kind of realized that like both teams were playing hard, so they should call it regularly. Yeah. He ended up drawing two more charges after that. Yeah, it's always funny to see the refs like figure that out. I've always joked about that. Um you know, me being a baseball being my favorite show to, uh, sport to watch, I always say that it's it's the best all star game because it's the one where they can play the closest to normal. Because like in hockey, yeah. they don't hit each other. Football, they don't hit each other because no one wants to get hurt. Basketball, they don't play defense. You yeah. know, and then it's I, I wish I watched. I heard that this was quite possibly one of the best games ever in the all star game, and that yeah. maybe you that's know, the it, reason. And ended up being really close. Like you know, there was uh, both teams were like arguing with the rest for foul calls. Like it felt like a regular basketball game, and so which is like what people want to see. And so it was really fun to watch. And Rudy Gobert did awesome. I was going to say, I heard a, he got a lot of press this week. I think people are starting to realize a lot of what you're saying, that he's just like one of the top five to ten players in the league. Yeah. I mean, he put up 21-11, uh, had one block, two assists, 
only took was like nine of ten from the floor um, and had eight dunks, but he did not play in the fourth quarter. They just ran with mostly starters. And so he, he played mostly during the time when people weren't trying, but like just caught a million alley hoops, especially with Trey Young on the on the floor. So, you know, yeah, I heard people complaining that Trey Young and uh, Luca didn't play enough. It's gonna be yeah, but they both well, they played. were starters, and they b- neither played in the fourth quarter. Yes, that's weird. But which is weird when they had like all other like the other eight starters played almost the entire fourth quarter. Yeah, it's kind of interesting too because they're like two of the younger players in the game as yeah, well. Yeah, I think like that was super, kind of it. Like, yeah, you know, they were both second year guys. So. Yeah, so like give the give the vets like their their thing because you're gonna be here 15 more times in your career because they're both just <laughs> yeah, absurd, especially Luca. Yeah, well, I mean Trey as well. I mean this guy's gonna he's like he feels like the next ish Steffish Curry, you know, like the undersized guy that could just hoist it from anywhere type thing. Yeah. He always gets same with Steph. He like gets a lot of press for his shooting, but in reality it's his like dribble penetration that is really elevates him to an, a great player. Problem with Trey is that he's a heinous sieve on defense. Whereas Curry worked on it and became, you know, passable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um super excited for this weekend. Uh, I have a team of it that I'm playing in as well. A local one. Um, we don't playing have a th- with Basoko. Playing with Basoko, we don't have a third yet. Our normal third is unavailable, and didn't know this until last week. We've been kind of dragging our feet and finding the third. We've been joking about the fact that we may ask if they'll just let us play just two on three for the whole tournament because we would totally <laughs> just do that and have fun with it and just say like "fuck it, let's go" or whatever. Yeah, you, you run in there, you start, you just start playing the heel turn, like yeah. you know, just both we don't, friendly trash talking. We don't need a third brother. <laughs> <Like, Yeah. laughs> You know, like, just, oh, God. It'd be pretty good, because we actually won one of them where we did not need a third player. Like, it just joked that Brian and I just wanted to defeat it the whole time, because apparently I could win those those team tournaments. I can't. You go to the next yeah. one's up, like, the Open Series, just can't. That's a lot easier when you're, when it's, you know, only people that come within 20 miles instead yeah. of 500. Hey, we get we get some people from out of town and stuff. We get, like, you know, like, sometimes up to, like, you know, 10 or 12 teams and stuff. It's, it's a pretty decent little showing, and it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of fun. We're doing non-standard this weekend, which I'm actually kind of sad about because Stater looks kind of fun. So we're doing Pioneer Modern Legacy. Pioneer Modern Legacy because because here's the funny part. More people around us have legacy decks than standard decks. <laughs> it's easier to find someone who could play legacy than to find someone who could play standard, apparently. And since I'm on the team, I just like have to play legacy, which kind of sucks. So I was like, I was like, I'd much rather play Pioneer or Standard, but I don't want to play modern. So it's like whatever. So Brian's having to put in a lot of work this weekend. I'm gonna look at some lists, pick one, and just play it <laughs> and just say whatever. The funny <laughs> Good part luck. is well, one of the other cool things is is I had to have a lot of fun at these because I, I usually I, I try I shy away from Delver decks in these events. So I try to play like something different and something fun. So uh, the decks that are leading for me this weekend is, is some kind of like Snow Oko deck, which are like really popular. Or I might just play Sneak and Show. I've been wanting to play that for a long time. I don't own the deck, but my buddy does, so I can get uh, the, the cards that I'm missing. Please don't play Sneak and Show. That deck is so bad. Yeah, It hasn't I, been good in so many years. Yeah, but I want to play it, Ross. I think there was a point like a year or two ago where it was actually really good, and just no one was Disagree. playing it. Disagree. I think that deck is just bad. I think now. you're just bad. That's also true, but... They can especially both be true at, at the legacy. Same time. Especially at legacy. They banned all my decks, Tannen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sure. You could, you could say that. Whatever. Anyway, they banned Kataxid Probe and Deathrite Shaman. How do you think I feel about that, Ross? Yeah. How do you I, know I, you your feel? deck played both of them? Yeah. But my two decks each relied on one of them. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you? Who do you think? <sighs> Did I ever tell you about Amaz's reaction when that deck got that deck got banned? This is shortly before the Team Pro Tour, right? Right, this is before the Team Pro Tour, and Amaz got, you know, the special invite, so he got to bring two people with him 
or whatever. And Watsi was like, yeah, you just bring whoever you want. So he picks me and Brennan because, uh, and people were like, you're so lucky. I'm like, dude, I used to live with him. Like, I know this guy, you know, like we're actual yeah. friends. I used to cube with him or whatever. And still lucky, but yeah, obviously still very lucky. It was like they tripled the prize support. It's the highest finish <laughs> I've ever had at a pro tour. Like everything worked out great. You know, <laughs> also we went, what was it? Uh, we went three and four day one. And they just don't, they just had no cut. So I got to, <laughs> and then we just sixed one day two. had the best record of the tournament. Like no big deal. But, um, but yeah, like, so, you know, he, he, he wanted to play with Brennan. He's like, do you know anybody who's good at legacy? And Brennan's like, well, Tana's okay, you know, or whatever. So they, 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 they get me to play legacy. And I remember the exact thing was, you know, Amaz, you know, messages me and he goes, so I hear you play a lot of legacy. I was like, yeah, you could say that, you know, because this is like the height of us, like playing together on the SCG tour. And yeah. I'm, like, I'm just playing all the legacy stuff. And uh, he's like, all right, well, do you want to come play legacy with us? I think I'm like, yeah, I'd be stupid to say no. Of course, I'll come. And then like a week later, my deck gets banned. And we had like a little team chat or whatever. And I just go, well, F me or whatever in the team chat, you know, like blah, blah, blah. This sucks. And me and Brennan are, you know, chatting, 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 chatting. And then you see Amaz come into the chat and he goes, what happened? Or whatever, and we're like, well, they banned Deathrite Shaman and Gataxian Probe, so like that's, you know, whatever. And he just goes, is that bad? <laughs> <laughs> and Brennan's like, that's the deck that Tannen plays. And he's like, well, can you just learn something else? He's like, yeah, he has like a million games played with this deck, though. And I was like, I'll be all right, I'll figure it out. And like, you know, I did fine, but it was just so funny that he picked me because I was like so like you know well known for this deck and good with it, and like my deck just gets banned like three days later. So it's not, it's not good. Yeah, it so, might not be bad, but it's not good. So it's just another thing of being lucky where it had it been three days later, he probably should have just picked somebody else at the time. So uh, pretty lucky there, but I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it a lot this weekend when I'm not playing. I'll definitely be watching as much as I can on Sunday. Uh, there's like no sports anymore. There's like, I guess there's like XFL and NBA, but like, let's be real. I'm waiting for baseball to get started. <laughs> Um, don't get me started on baseball, by the way. Don't let me. Don't let me talk. No, because... no, no. We've already gone. We've already gone quite a while. We still got to do some mailbag questions. Yeah, there's just there's just way too much going on with that right now too. And thank you for reminding me of the mailbag questions. I was totally about to skip that. So let's go ahead and jump into the mailbag questions here. Let me pull this up. Sorry, I'm going to like change. Uh, I've got them up. You want me go, to start? Yeah, go for the first one. Go for it. First one comes from Quinn O'Grady. Asks Demir Inverter is being called the Splinter Twin of Pioneer. Before the Twin of Pioneer was Copycat. Do you think a control deck with an efficient combo kill is problematic for the format? Or is this current twin fine? I know I understand the labeling of it as twin is a little controversial. Because especially with Demir Inverter, like it doesn't play the same control game that Twin did or even Copycat did. Like it, it wins with those cards. You know, sometimes you like completely raw dog your library with Jace. Sometimes you like have this alternate card out of your sideboard. Um, but it's more dependent on its combo than others were. But the crux of this question is about, you know, an interactive deck that has a combo kill. And I agree that those kinds of decks are very dangerous because they're really hard to play against. They're really hard to hate out. Uh, and they're very powerful because a lot of the time, if your opponent is a highly interactive deck, the best way to beat them is to go over the top. And like, just have a juice library that's going to top deck really well in a long game. And if you try to do that, you're just going to get punked out by the combo. Now, whether this one is too good remains to be seen. Like, I, I want to give it a couple weeks, a couple tournaments. Right now, you know, if it continues at the level that it is right now, I would say something that needs to be banned from it. But that would have to continue for another, you know, at least two to three weeks, if not a little more than that, a month or so. And uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you in pretty much every way because 
because I'm right all the time about everything. Because you're smart and handsome and thin, and and Pioneer's still <sighs> relatively yeah. Pioneer Ross is fanning himself right now. <laughs> Pioneer is still relatively new, and we've gone through multiple iterations of this is the best deck. Like we knew for a fact that this is the best deck, and. Think about one of the last ones that we saw, Chunky Red. Like, where is that deck? It's literally unplayable. And that's not going to happen to Demir and Verge. This deck is, like, probably just too good and too powerful to have that kind of effect where it's literally unplayable. But, yeah, maybe the, at some point in time, the format kind of makes it to where it's not the lion's share of the metagame. You know, it's not the most played deck. It's not the best deck. It's just one of the Tier 1 decks. You know, I'm thinking about, like, Modern, when it had, like, you know, four to seven, like, really good, like, tier one decks that could all win. You know, that kind of feeling. And I don't like the feeling of where the format kind of felt like in the last couple of weeks and where it might actually be where there's, like, if you're not playing one of these two decks, you're really not trying to win as hard as other people. And then if that is true, then that is a problem. And that's when I feel like something should possibly happen. Yeah, the metagame has definitely narrowed recently. By a lot. We'll, yeah. Yeah. We'll see where it goes, but we got to give it some time. We got to give people some chances to uh, keep this deck in check because it's a cool deck with a lot of fun play patterns and unique play patterns. So if it can be kept around, I would prefer that it is. Um, so I want to be really sure that the deck is too good before moving to ban something. Yeah. Second question is from Isaac of the Spirits Fan Club. Um, every podcast I listen to has talked about how bad the mana base is for Pioneer. How does that get fixed without fetch lands? Ross. So the... The problem is not that the mana overall is bad. The problem is that the mana is unbalanced between friendly colors and enemy colors, in particular enemy colors having much better mana bases. You know, Port Town is a joke of a magic card, and that entire cycle of Shadowlands is bad. The Battlelands are not good without Fetchlands. The, uh, you know, Shocklands and Checklands are something every deck has, every combination. And, in you know, on the enemy side, you get Painlands and... Uh, creature lands and the fast lands, which are all really good. So, you know, you can fix it by just fixing the imbalance and eventually reprinting the friendly colored fast lands, you know, Seacrum Coast and Darkly Shores and all those, um, those, and then the, the uh, friendly colored pain lands, Sulphur Springs and Brushland. And then, uh, you know, maybe make a new cycle or reprint the original creature duels. So those were pretty good. And I don't think having the creature duels in one set or other would be super imbalanced because they're, they don't play a huge role in, in Pioneer. But uh, I don't know. Raging Ravine and like Celestial Colonnade are probably fine. But the, those uh, those are a little bit more problematic. But I would I, I assume that in the next couple of years we will see the completion of the Painland and Fastland cycles for Pioneer. And that will, you know, that's going to change things. It's going to make Selesnya and Gruul decks a lot better. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say not in a few years, within a year or two. Not like three or four years on. I think it's going to happen yeah. sooner. So uh, last question. Friendly Fire 21. What do each of you consider to be a healthy metagame? Also, will there be an episode on building a collection? I know it was discussed early on and then events started happening. So that obviously takes priority. Um, answer the first question. What do you consider to be a healthy metagame? Kind of like what we were talking about when we answered the first question. I, I like the idea of more than like one or two decks being the best deck, I kind of like the rock, paper, scissors type thing where specific card choices really matter. Like, you know, um, what does my removal speed exactly look like this weekend? Or how can I, you know, change my main deck to where I'm really good against one and maybe not as good against the other, but then I have like a really good sideboard plan kind of thing like where you have to hedge your bets and stuff and you really have to understand what's going on. 
But honestly, I think it's hard to find something where you're like, this is a healthy metagame. You know, like everyone has kind of a, a different opinion on it. Also, I mean, some people like metagames that aren't, that aren't necessarily healthy because what they like doing in a deck they like is good. It's like, don't get me wrong. When Grixis Delver was like the best deck in Legacy, it might not have been a healthy metagame. I was loving it because my <laughs> deck was just the best thing to be doing and I was good at that deck. So I loved it. Yeah. So it's yeah, hard same to say. With, is it Phoenix and Modern yeah. and, and me? That was a great few months. Yeah, that was a great few months to be in team events with sitting next to you. I had the, like the best player of the best deck. I loved it. Um, also about the episode about building your collection. Um, I, I guess this meaning to the one that we talked about where we were going to have a financial episode. Yes, at some point in time, I want to say yes, there's going to be an episode where that happens. Um, you, you hit the nail on the head. Stuff started happening. Um, we, we had someone set up. Things didn't work out, you know, on the exact time. We couldn't ever get everybody together. So we kind of just shelved the idea for a little while. Stuff was moving too quickly. Um, with everything kind of, you know, having a little more off weeks now, you know, there's not so much yeah. quick stuff happening every single Monday. I've got to believe that sometime soon we're going to have something like that. We also have... Um, a couple guests in the back pocket. I kind of wish we had brought one on tonight. Now, the more I think about it, so the next weekend where this kind of thing happens, I'm going to bring one on that are going to be really cool. I don't want to say their names yet, just in case we don't have them, but we have a couple of things set up. Let's plan to have a guest in two weeks. Because next week we're going to have results from that. From so two weeks, Indy. Yeah, all right. Two weeks. We should we should try to have a guest. I will message them after the cast. Then awesome. Um, as far as my take on this, I agree that it's a very subjective question. Um, so whenever something like that happens. In order to be objective, I like to just figure out every single variable that people are measuring it on. Um, and there's a lot. You know, the one that gets talked about too much is diversity. This sounds right? really hard. But go ahead. Um, um, I mean, there's not too many, uh, at least like big one, or ones that I think are relevant. Okay, yeah, yeah, sure, um, sure. So the big one that gets talked about a lot is diversity. Uh, you know, that's always the biggest thing with bands, like how, what, you know, how often does this deck top eight the tournament? How big of a portion of the metagame is it? Um, and that comes to do with just like how enjoyable tournaments are to play. Like if you're playing the same deck over and over again, your tournament experience isn't great um, for the most part. And so it is important, but it gets talked about a lot. Um, big for me is, and for a lot of other people, is archetype diversity. Like if you have, you know, 15 different decks that are all good, and this is, you know, obviously a contrived scenario, but they're all just different variants of the same kind of strategy, then your metagame is not very fun. I like to see a little bit of control represented, a little mid-range, a little, you know, maybe a little ramp, a little aggro, and a little, you know, and even a little combo in there. And hopefully you have like, you know, one or two solid options in all of those categories that can at least compete. Maybe that they're not all tier one, but they're all like, you know, tier one, tier two in that range. Um, and, and so that that kind of, you know, archetype diversity is important. Um, then... The other thing that I think doesn't get talked about as much is just quality of gameplay. This is often the, like, uh, that's what modern takes a lot of criticism for. I think sometimes it's undue, but it really is a metric that, uh, that needs to be established. Like, you know, we should have, uh, meta, like gameplay that isn't super repetitive. And that's a little bit of a problem with inverter, but it was a big problem with like once upon a time and cards like that. They just make the games be, you know, the same thing every single time. Um, so just how, how like, how interesting this gameplay, like, how decision-intensive is it? Um, and complicated, you know, broken metagames often, in terms of, like, lack of diversity, often have really good gameplay because the mirror match for the broken deck is fun. Like, a lot of top players loved the Cobblade metagame just because they liked playing Cobblade mirrors. You know, I, I'm not, like, obviously, like, that's a problem. Um, but it just gives you an idea of like you know their perspective on things. 
Um, I think a lot of play, like top players right now, if you ask them about the gameplay, would be like, yeah, I love playing inverter mirrors because they're really interesting. Uh, and there's a lot of subtlety to them. But, it, like, you know, you can only do that for so long. Uh, so there's a lot of different variables to take into account. It's never really, you know, a settled thing. I think Pioneer has been really good right now is the only time where it's like bordering on unhealthy, which kind of makes sense. It's, you know, all the pros got to it and wrecked everything as they do. Uh, but um, as far as building a collection, the biggest thing is getting your lands, right? Like you should have sets of the playable lands um, because those are the things that are going to overlap the most. So that's always where I start. And those are the cards I just like never sell. You know, 10 years ago, I made the decision, like I'm just going to stop selling lands when they rotate out of standard. Um, if we're going to get a little specifics, there is one thing that I would say, um, the kind of like chase mythics, and I don't mean necessarily like the ones that are in standard or the ones that are like, you know, printed the last year that have like readily, uh, you're more readily available. If you think cards like Immercool, Ulamog are here for the long run, I think at some point they become very expensive because the supply is lower on those. And finding them becomes more difficult because they have not been printed in years. Yeah. Especially cards that have mechanics that are very set specific. Yeah. Like Emrakul only goes in, or like, you know, their their character cards from specific planes. Like, so they're only ever going to be reprinted when they decide to go back to that plane. So they have to just, like, both things have to happen in order for the card to, to be reprinted. Also, like, you know, a card like Emrakul got banned in standard. They're not putting that card in standard again. Yeah, I was supposed to say they're not reprinting that card. So yeah, that that's a that's a good way to look at it. It might be in a supplemental set, but it's not gonna and it, you know, and those are limited in the amount of increased supply that they can generate. So yeah, that makes sense. But I I, I always start with lands. You know, if you're starting from scratch, yeah, it's get, get your lands first. Uh, one more thing before we start to wrap up the show, just because somebody sent it to me and I thought it was funny. And it's, it, it was funny because they sent it to me right as I was like, hey, don't let me talk about baseball. Don't let me talk about baseball. Um, this one's kind of about it. And I think it's, it's kind of great. So um, for anybody out there who likes sports betting or anything like that, the official line for how many Astros hitters would be hit by pitch this year just came out. And you can bet on the over under for the entire year. This is not something that is normal. This is not a normal bet that you can make in baseball. But they actually have this at sports books now. Is, is it three digits? Uh, no, the number for the over under is 83 and a half to kind over. of, well, the, I always, I honestly think that maybe you should bet the under because what's going to happen is, uh, the first time someone throws at them and they know that it's like intentional or whatever. Yeah. The umpires are really going to crack down on it. They said today they're going to crack down and they're going to give them a big suspension. And so it'll incentivize people from doing it in the future. But just to give you like an idea of where this number is in the past five seasons. And so the past five seasons, only nine teams have been hit by pitch more than 83 and a half times. So they were only nine teams out of the past five seasons. That's 30 teams a year have, have been hit 84 times or more. That's going to be, that's what, one and a half percent? Yeah, and if I, this is me kind of talking out of my butt, but like whatever, I don't think the Astros are traditionally a team that gets hit a lot anyway. Like, you know, but like that's, you just has a, one and a half. It's it's six percent. Yeah. Got a bad, bad math. But anyway, so I think that's hilarious that that is a thing you can bet on for your, for, for baseball now if you like stuff like that, so. Uh, so, Ross, I know you got a lot of stuff going on uh, for the, to get ready for this weekend in Pioneer. You got a lot of your show going on tomorrow, and you mentioned your article if people want to hear any about that, learn any about that, read any of that, where would they go? 
First things first, my Twitter is at Ross Hunneds. That's at R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. Uh, I do try to get back to people as much as possible. So if you just have questions about things, uh, that's the best place to um, reach me. Uh, my articles go up on StarCityGames.com at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Tuesdays. Uh, so my article will be live by the time we post this. I am writing about cards that have disappointed in Pioneer. You know, they've underperformed things that were good in their standard environment, haven't really lived up to their potential here or lived up to their pedigree and why. There's a little bit of theory in there, you know, uh, as to why, um, you know, there's a common thread in them. So it's, it was a, it's a cool article. Not just like a, a clickbaity list. There is a, a method to my madness, um, so you can check that out by the time this is posted. And um, I am also a co-host of Versus Live with Corey Baumeister. Is a live show that we do on Twitch.tv/StarCityGames, same channel that you go to to watch opens. We're there during the week, one to four p.m. Eastern time. Uh, and you know, if you're in the audience, you can ask questions. We answer them live on the show. We have a good time playing you know, whatever decks we think are relevant or fun uh, matchups that are going to be important for tournaments and things like that. Um, if you cannot catch the show live, it does go on the Star City Games YouTube channel on a delay. Tuesday shows go up Friday. Thursday shows go up the following Monday. So you can catch it on YouTube if you can't catch it live. Um, as for me, you can find me at the Tan and Grace on Twitter. I also usually control the Twitter for Cast Pioneer as well. Sometimes the other people do for a minute, but it's it's mostly me. Let's be real. Um, it is that Twitter for for the cast itself is at Cast Pioneer. If you type in Pioneer Cast, it should pop up as well. Um, if you go to the pinned tweet at the top of our Twitter, you will see a link for the Discord. Um, Discord is a great community that we have. Uh, we have about five or 600 people in here right now, if not more. It's over 600. Yeah, as well say, I think it's over now and stuff. So um, tons of people in here, really cool stuff. Um, I think we're getting a new channel added very, very soon. We're going to have a pets channel. We can post photos of their pets. Just cool, awesome stuff because it happens a lot anyway. So might as well. But we have a uh, channel here for practically every format in Magic. Um, I'm looking at it right now. I have an update in every single one of them. There's messages in every single one of them that I haven't read yet. So I need to go back through and take a look. Anybody's got any good ideas for this weekend? Because I need to figure out what decks we're playing in all three of our formats. So I need to take a look there. Lots of cool channels and stuff going on there. But there's a couple channels that you can only get to um, if you're a Patreon. If you're a patron of our channel of our show, uh, we talked about this. There's a mailbag submission uh, one where you get to ask questions every week and hear uh, Ross and I's statements on them. You can even ask specific questions if you want, like, Ross, what do you do to keep your beard so lively, so fresh, so nice every week? Or you can ask us in-depth questions like, you know, what what can I do to help my uh, my my collection in, in Pioneer to get myself started to get play? Lots of stuff going on like that. We also have a channel that's just for the patrons as well. Um, Ross posts his deck lists every Friday before a tournament. I will be doing the same. I uh, like to, you know, put in um, his sideboard guides up there because everybody knows, everybody wants that sideboard guy. You don't have to do the the extra $3 or whatever it was that everybody was joking about for a while on Twitter. Um, <laughs> we, we throw that in for free. Yeah, throw that in for free. Um, we do have some more stuff coming down in the pipeline. I know we've been kind of teasing that for months, but one of them is showing up right now. If you actually go to our Discord, I have posted the photo of the token in the discord it is in our patron channel and in our if you go into the general channel it's in there but it's you got to look for it that channel gets it is real and it is spectacular it is spectacular um it's pretty cool and everyone who's a patron uh right now will be getting a a signed copy of a of the token as soon as possible we gotta get them signed which might take a while um 
it might be a month before we can do that because I got to run into Ross and I'm, I'm not playing in an open before then. So we got to figure something out. Maybe we're also to sign him and send him to me and then we'll do whatever. I don't know. We'll figure it out, but we'll send him out to you as soon as possible. But we have some more stuff coming in the future that we have going on because right now we have a $2 and a $5 tier and we're going to work on offering some other cool stuff that's going to go along with this and maybe a higher tier. So, but for everybody who's already a patron, we thank you so much. Like, thank you so much for your support. You're helping us out a lot. You're helping us make the show the best it could be and do cool stuff like this, like offering tokens for you guys and gals at home. We got some other cool stuff in the works, like I said, that's coming along too. So if you're thinking about supporting us that way, we really appreciate that too. So make sure you take a look at that. That is at patreon.com slash pioneer cast. Give us money. <laughs> it's just so funny to hear you say that. But anyway, <laughs> it's mostly for Brent. I just want to pay Brent honestly and just make sure that we're not you know get making him do work for nothing give brent money <laughs> yeah there you go give brent money and then because pretty much every dollar i'm gonna get from this i'm gonna put it back in somehow you know what i mean i'm gonna do some cool stuff for the show um i don't know we'll, f- we'll figure out some other cool stuff that's going I'm on i'm gonna buy a solid gold boat solid go- that doesn't that even float ross <laughs> i don't care at least make it a toilet or something practical anyway <laughs> Anyway, that's going to be about it for this week's episode. And like Ross said, we're going to try to have a cool guest on in two weeks. So look forward to that. Uh, We're looking forward to next week's episode where we get this solitary pioneer open. Super excited to see what people bring. Is someone going to have something cool and new? I don't know. We're going to find out, aren't we? But we'll find out together next week. 